Let's call the meeting to order. Um, today's January 16, 2024. It's 7.05 p.m. And um, we will start with a roll call uh, for those present. And then uh, Brent, um, if you, you could also say you're participating remotely, that would be great. Um, say, uh, Peter Michelson present. Ted Cardiser present. Ed Bozala present. Steve Gallian present. Bob Slane present. Emily McCabe present. Jill Rafter present. Pete Salvino present. Okay, and Brent? Uh, Brent Nelson. Brent's being remotely. Can't seem to turn on my camera. Okay, that's okay. We can hear you. <laughs> All right, great. Um, well, uh, tonight uh, we have the agenda that uh, we sent around to everybody. Um, the first item on the agenda is uh, comments from our town moderator, <laughs> Mr. McDermott. I, I guess they want us the speakers to, to speak at the podium. Oh, at the podium? Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's the first as unaccustomed as you are. As uncomfortable as it makes me, I will. So, hey, thanks for hosting me, and I'll only take a couple of minutes. I know you guys have a busy agenda as usual. Uh, since I kind of made my decision in the fall, and um, you know, the announcement, I've been eager to get before this group, and uh, largely just to, to be able to thank you, you know, for your service, and then thank you kind of on behalf of uh, the 40 others of you who are not here, who were former members of the Warren Committee that I appointed as well over the over the 21 years. And, uh, you know, the service has been great. And just to kind of reassure, my, these are my sentiments, but this is how I really feel, that this is really vital service. And, uh, you know, and really important for the town. And um, all these things, you know, what I call collaborative engagement, uh, you know your deliberations, uh, the open dialogue you have. These are these are really important, and and uh, you know it is as the committee, the one committee of our legislature. And and uh, you know I know Bob, you and I talk about this. I mean we have a legislative body, which I'm going to defend in a minute because I think it's really pretty cool. But uh, that um, you are the committee uh, that is making recommendations to them, and it's you know put for the town beyond the. The considerations of the budget it's very very important and it continues a heritage that goes on you know way way back in, into history that i think we have to appreciate i was uh, talking to richard de sorger and uh, and i said you know there's been 372 annual town meetings in medfield which is a you know really a phenomenal number considering we're only coming to what the 270 uh, you know fifth anniversary and and, and um and I said, so I, you know, I moderated 21, which is only 5.6%, and it's going to get lower every year. So it's really going to keep you humble, you know, over time for Medfield. But one of the things I want to say about the Warren Committee is that, you know, I appreciate the way it's now operating. Things are being done better than ever, you know, in Medfield, going back to the late 90s. And then, uh, you know, this uh, this presentation of the budget and all of that. So, you know, not only has have you been doing it a long time as a committee, as a group, but uh, today the attention to it. Uh, I think is is really uh, better than ever. So I just wanted to reinforce that. People would ask me, what does the moderator do? And I always said there were three things that the, that the, the moderator does. And, you know, everybody sees the uh, orchestration of the town meeting and the and the, moder the moderating of the town meeting. 
Um, and but I would, I would I would always lean in on the appointment of the Warren Committee um, because I think it is such a unique committee, and so that's a you know, that's a really really important function that somehow in our charter was given you know completely to the to the moderator to serve a long time. You get to appoint the board for a long time, and it was something that I I I always respected and uh, and I really appreciated as a part of the role. And so thank, I just want to kind of thank you guys for that. Um, and then finally, though, the third thing. Uh, is going to be important going forward, which uh, I would always say is to help to set a tone. And I think the Warren Committee as well does that. You know, that's really, really important. I think it's going to be particularly important this year and going forward, you know, to try to set a tone and um, a positive tone, but one, you know, that is uh, all about the, the essence of what we do. Finally, uh, you know, it's just I just really wanted to, you know, I'm about people in process. That's I call it the DNA, but uh, from a people perspective, all of the great people that I've met, you know, that uh, from speaking to the town, I don't know if uh, Owl is getting me, but, you know, we, we've had extraordinary people who, who do so much. And, you know, I, I have a list of, uh, you know, just of the, the nonprofit organizations or the non-governmental organizations in town, the volunteers, and the people that make all of that happen, together with the people that work on our, you know, on our, for the town and our professional staff. And then, you know, I, I always throw up kudos because I've only worked under two town administrators. Uh, you know, with Mike and, and, and Christine and, you know, I've become, uh, uh, you know, was very friendly with each of them, uh, but have the highest uh, amount of respect. And that's been extraordinary as well. Integrity, hard work, caring, knowledge, uh, skill sets. So that's been great. And the process is something I really, you know, I really love, you know, we, every year we frame up a warrant, you know, we, it's, there's a certain predictability to it for our legislature. We're in the part of that process that we're in now, you know, in which uh, it comes at a date certain, you know, so we know we're going to do this on the first Monday of May, you know, every year, that's really important, that kind of consistency, people could, could plan for it when the legislature convenes, uh, we get re, we get the recommendations from, uh, from you folks, and then we go through a process where we discuss, we debate, and we decide, and it all happens in one night, sometimes it's been as many as 46 articles. And so it's a lot of business being done. And so that process, that element, uh, some people only see the, the part of it that happens at town meeting. You guys see it from uh, beginning to end. But that whole thing, I think, is is really special. And I also think it's very efficient way to be able to make laws, which is what a legislature does, to pass budgets, which is what a legislature does. Uh, you know, so it, you know, that's, that's real serious uh, stuff on the local level. And it has to do with the things that we we do well in Medfield and we want to continue to do. And that's weaving together what, what I would call the fabric of the community, because we're dealing with the schools and public safety, um, our senior citizens, uh, our local commerce, you know, all of this. It's 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 great. So finally, I think I probably said that a couple of times, but, you know, this is about, uh, to me, democratic participatory self-government. You know, that's what you're participating in. That that is is a, is a really powerful notion. If you take what uh, Lincoln said, you know, in his Gettysburg, you know, government uh, by the people for the people, you know, uh, and this is this is what we do, you know, in our town meeting, and we see it play out. Uh, I would call it the purest form of democracy, and others who are friends of mine would call it the purest, most anachronistic form of democracy, or whatever, something, something like that. But you know, it continues. So uh, that's all I really have to say. I I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I'm happy to say that I still have a lot of energy. I'm not burnt out in the slightest by by this. I, I love doing it. It was an honor and a privilege. And 
you know, I used to I used to joke with Christine. You know, you're trying to avoid this. Is ever see, see this photo of the, actually, the this is in Medfield? The, the, uh, uh, and I said, you know, it was like there was always that little piece there. You know, it was like as we went into this, uh, and that kind of made it uh, a, a little bit more daring and in some ways more fun. Uh, I'm very animated by things going on in town, so I'm going to be a, a, around and about uh, elementary education. Uh, I'd be a hypocrite if it wasn't the case. Years and years ago, I was sitting in Millis as a young uh, professor, and I had a six-year-old and a four-year-old, two-year-old, and we came to Medfield. And a lot of that decision was was where do we want to raise our kids, but where do we want to educate their kids? And so um, that matters to me. The downtown, you know, the possibilities, the continuing possibilities for, for what that brings to us. Um, our open space uh, is is phenomenal, and I've got more and more opportunity this fall to be able to go out to all of these uh, places. Our history is something that I you know that I think is you know very special. And finally, this idea of uh, you know what 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 is community? You know what is uh, what what in our volunteers? How do we promote that? How do we perpetuate that? You know all of these things that happen. That I think it's the differentiator for Medfield. I think it is our distinctive advantage over, I could go around, I could name other towns and tell you why it is, but the things that we do, you know, from Medfield Day to, you know, all other kinds of activities that happen in this town because of people who, you know, commit to it and believe in community like I did, which is like, it's, this is a better place to be. It's a better place to raise your family. It's a better place to walk at night. It's a better place, whatever you decide to do. Uh, if, you know, this commitment to a community uh, this fabric of the community, all of these things that we do, uh, you know, continue to make it a great place. So I'm, I'm around. I just uh, finally, uh, again, uh, you know, always for the rest of my term, which goes to almost the end of March, uh, certainly if there's anything that I can do or clarify, uh, and then uh, following that forever, you know, I'd be interested in, in talking to anybody uh, and anybody who's out there as well about, uh, you know, town issues and matters if they think that I can bring any kind of a uh, perspective or insight to it. So well, that's all I want to say. Really appreciate the Warren Committee. Appreciate the work. Good luck uh, here in the spring. I'm kind of following a little bit more from a distance in, than usual, but um, I know that we have a kind of a robust agenda taking shape and appreciate all the work you do. Well, since I've been on this for six years, um, been here the longest, uh, I just want to thank you for all that you've done. And I, and I really, uh, you know, when you look at the things, and I think Richard's a so good piece, and, uh, you know, I was looking at that and checking off some of the things that I <laughs> So six of you, 21, but, um, you know, when you talk about the hospital, you talk about the schools, um, going through that pandemic. Um, so your, uh, your leadership behind the scenes, and, you know, people see you on the dais once a year, but those of us who have worked with you and have seen it and, and behind it. Uh, and and what I, and the thing I've said to people, I would say to you, and I really, um, you know, as going forward, um, you know, you've never, you've never inserted your ego or an ego into this. You really maintain the, uh, the town's best interest and um, in, in a democratic process. And I, knowing from personal experience in my six years, that's not easy to do. <laughs> Probably haven't been able to do my own sales. So, but I give you a lot of credit for that, and um, and it's a it's a it's a testimony to yourself and the work you've done, and um, you'll be uh, it's greatly appreciated. Well, thanks. thanks. And I I would just you know echo what what Bob said, and 
clearly that article that Richard wrote was was outstanding. We, I know the town will will uh, will um, have some type of appreciation event for you. Oh, <laughs> uh, and we'll do it properly. Uh, and uh, um, so, but your record of service is exceptional. Um, well, thank you. I don't think it can be. I'm going to discourage you. Can't do anything of, 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 of you know. I mean, I want to. This is a continuation element, but I yeah. appreciate all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's Richard's uh, article is a complete surprise to me. You know, yeah, so yeah, you come home and you open up the hometown weekly is yeah. kind of is my habit. And there it is. So that was that was crazy. And I know they. I know they want to celebrate you uh, the right way at the right time. Oh, thank I, you. I, I think they will. They will do that, and we'll be a part of that. And I think. Um, yeah, I'll just share one one story with, with the Warren Committee that uh, Scott shared with me over coffee. He said, um, I, I said, I can't imagine a town, town meeting without Scott McDermott as the moderator. Okay. 21 years is a long time. And he said, uh, he said, well, you know, the thing I'm, you know, probably the most proud of is that I didn't make an enemy in 21 years. <laughs> so <laughs> but that's quite a talent because you know what he had to do. So. I might, be little, I mean, I might be a little less friendly with some people. <laughs> so there's a question of definition about that, but you know, it's a, I, you know, I'm such a believer in, in what can be done by common purpose. You know, I don't care in, in my professional life, it's about companies, it's about small businesses and when people kind of get in and when you can get the power of a, of a town thinking in that, you know, in, in that fashion, it's exceptionally powerful. And that's, you know, to me, it's kind of what, you know, made Medfield, those of us, you know, we've been talking about this for a, a long time, Bob, our kids and all that, you know, and, 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 you know, it's just as very, and I think it's very special, you know, it started that letter and I said, we have a special place to call our home. And, you know, I don't have any of, of all the kind of the decisions that I was going to say that I made or serendipitously happened to me, you know, to, to be here in Medfield and, you know, for our family and for the people that I've met and for the good times that I've had, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, it's just, so, um, you know, to me, it's about, you know, how do we continue to perpetuate that? You know, generations change and turn over. And, you know, uh, I was the younger generation when I first went on Park and Rec. That was kind of, there was a transitional thing going on. They were looking for people to get engaged and, you know, involved at, at that point in the 90s because there was another whole generation, you know, that had, you know, been the hallmark, had really been the foundation of, a, you know, of the town before that. So it's, it's and it happens and it happens again. It's you know it's it's kind of good for the for the town and uh, you know we just need to keep, keep the continuity and make it go up and to the right. You know up in the, in, and so anything that I can do to contribute to that going forward. So I'm sure you'll be seeing me maybe not behind the podium but uh, you know around and about. But a lot of important things for us to get done. You know with all of that said but around those. Those objectives that we talk about. Great. Yeah. Well, I'm stay and see the sausage made. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me if I start. So the next uh, agenda item is uh, the, uh, the the minutes. So we have two two sets of minutes. Um, the October 23rd meeting and the November 13th meeting. So we'll take one at a time. The October 23rd. Does anybody have any uh, any comments or 
questions about those minutes? I did get um, feedback, so I did just one section that was left. Okay. As a runoff <laughs> into nothing, but um, I'll take any other suggestions and get that back to you. Or we can conditionally. I was wondering if you the feedback there. Just one sentence that sort of didn't quite end. Yeah. She wants to wrap up that sentence and then we can approve it. Subject to completion, I think that would be fine. Yeah, okay. Content. Did you want to make a motion? Move to approve as to be commanded slightly in the future by Joey and um, the, uh, this was the October 23 minutes. Yes. Second. All right, so take a vote. Yes. 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 And Brent? Yes. Okay. Motion carried. All right, the uh, November 13th uh, minutes that Bob has drafted. Any comments or questions on those? It looked good. Yeah, they look good. Very concise at this point. Good. Um, okay, uh, motion. Larson to approve the November is it 13, 13 minutes as written. Okay, is there a second? Second. Okay. Yes. 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 And Brent. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, the next, um, uh, well, the next item was um, the calendar. Um, we have, um, we sent around within the PowerPoint presentation, we have the calendar for. Uh, for the upcoming uh, few months up leading up to town meeting. Um, the dates, none of the dates have changed, but there is a, uh, a slight uh, change to um, the, the end of February meeting. So we our first meeting with the school department is on February 13th. There's a, there's a good chance that, and we'll talk about it later, that we may need a extra meeting with the school department this year. Uh, so I've scheduled that on February 27th. Uh, it wouldn't take up uh, the full the full meeting, I don't think, and we could go on to articles after that. Uh, so that's that's so say those things. So February, uh, the, the the two school department uh, dates are February 13th and February 27th. Okay. And um, the only other thing I will mention is, Ed, you have the minute responsibility for this meeting. You'll be as charged. <laughs> All right. And uh, other than that, the, um, you know, the, the, the dates that we, we have in the calendar are, are, are pretty much the same. They, they haven't changed. None of the dates have changed. It's just what we cover it at one of the meetings. Um, any questions on that? Great. So um, now uh, we come to sort of the main the main topic of tonight's meeting, which is you know to go through the department budgets. And I wanted to just make some general comments just to set things up for everybody, particularly for the for the new members to describe um, you know the review review the process that we're going to go through. Um, 
what is it that we're trying to do tonight and how does that relate to what we're going to do after the public meeting you know that we'll have you know, in a month or so so as we think about budgets of individual departments some are are going to be very easy to review they're not controversial we'll be able to fly through them uh, others will have questions on so you know everybody we should ask questions of any individual budgets that we have our goal is to get information and we want to provide any feedback uh, to the budget makers you know um, and um our you know our our Warren Committee budget guidance, the, the big overarching guidance that we, we did this year to the school and town departments was meant to keep us within Prop two and a half, the Prop two and a half limits. So it becomes important, you know, for the Warren Committee to think about and talk about the big picture of time. As the budget gets rolled up and we start to, to, to see some of the numbers from each of the respective groups, um, you know, is it landing in an area that we as a warrant committee are comfortable with? And if not, you know, if that's not the case, think about what feedback we might provide, you know, to the to the budget makers. And in terms of process, tonight we're not voting on anything. So it's really just about having a conversation with all the departments, learning, uh, appreciating from certainly appreciate all the town employees who are here tonight. Um, and those who are uh, joining us remotely, Amy Collarin, Andrew Foster, Georgia Camilas, and Maria Del Puente. Um, so we appreciate that they're here and available to answer our questions and provide any additional information. So again, the goal is to understand these budgets. If we have questions, ask them, get them answered tonight, or we need some follow-up for the last for that too. Um, if you have any concerns or feedback, um, Want to give um, that, that would be a good time to do that too. So again, we're not voting; it's more of a conversation, information gathering. It's a chance uh, for the warrant committee to get a sense of how we feel about things and convey that back to Frank and Christine um, and, and, and the budget makers. And then we get to the public hearing sometime in March, and that sometime after that hearing, we will uh, before town meeting we will. Um, you know, we will vote as a warrant committee. And every warrant article, uh, the warrant committee will take a public position on. Every Each member of the warrant committee is going to be voting and will need to take a public position on all articles that it's not a warrant. So uh, on the budget articles, which we're looking at now, um, you know, we may, we may approve what's presented to us and agree that it's what we want to see and send forward to the town meeting. Um, or there could be things that we want to talk about or concerns and you know, choose to present the budget uh, and present it at the public hearing to go in a different direction. So it really depends, you know, how, how we feel as a group. Uh, but tonight is just information and sharing reactions and impressions and things like that. So with that as a we thought since we do have people who are present with us tonight physically from the town that they should go first to be fair. Um, since they're 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 staying in the business way. Uh so um Frank, how do you want to do this? Do you want to 
Who wants to go first? You Anybody please? Oh, Brent, I don't know if you want to say something about the DPW budget before Mo starts. I mean, I'll just say that we met twice, once in November, I think it was, and again, just last week. The second time was specifically to review the budget, so I'd been given a budget summary back in November. and. I'm I'm pleased to see that in in the documents that were circulated uh, this week via email, uh, looks like the director found some some money to to put back. Uh, so <laughs> the increase that he he needed wasn't quite. It looks like it may not be as big as we discussed even last week. So, uh, but I'll let him. He's there, so he he can describe it for you. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Great. Um, I'll start off with the highway budget. The only thing that uh, that stands out in the highway budget is stormwater management. In our MS4 permit that we have with uh, MassDEP, our stormwater management permit requires us to be in compliance with a lot of different activities. It gets to be more and more every year. Um, a lot of people that haven't been as far along in the stormwater management, uh, these cities and towns are putting hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in their, into their budgets to comply with uh, DEP standards. We have kind of gone little by little, and every year we seem to be, um, you know, having to put in a little bit more to cover some of the costs that, that we, we run into. We have 2,100 catch basins in town that we have to clean every year. With that, all the spoils that comes out of that, we have to remove from the town, and that that's one of our biggest expenses uh, to date. We also are under, um, a phosphorus control plan that we had to develop through uh, our permit. And with that phosphorus control plan, we are required in the next five years to remove um, anywhere between 150 to 200 pounds of phosphorus out of our system. And to do that, you need to do what they call best management practices. Um, with our stormwater, we create uh, new detention basins, retention ponds. Um, we rehab what we have already to reduce some of that. We think we can we can get over 200 pounds per year with what we have planned, but it costs, that's what the 40,000 extra dollars is for, is for, we have to have consultants. We, we try to do a lot of the work ourselves. We still need that that support from consultants and that's what that pays for. Um, as far as uh, you'll see for, for gasoline and diesel, um, even though we're trying to go, go green and Electric, uh, I just got a, a hybrid vehicle myself, but uh, the cost of fuel has, has really risen in the last last couple of years. Every year we, we increase, um, the gas prices have been increasing. And um, because of all the wars and unrest in the country, in, in the world, we're seeing gas prices spiking. So, so we end up uh, having to increase our fuel just for the anticipation of what's going to happen. Um, in the last couple of weeks, it's dropped, and now it's going to start to rise again, unfortunately. I think it comes down every time there's an election. So, <laughs> but um, um, that's one of the uh, issues we run into. This is all on the highway side. Um, everything else is pretty nominal. Then we go into water and sewer. Um, with our new treatment plant, we... It's a question. Where does phosphorus come from? 
it's all in your fertilizers and a lot of different things that uh, are man-made. So when you fertilize your lawn, it goes, it gets washed away down the street into a catch basin, into our waterways, and we're responsible for that. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, good for the environment. So we get the not. I don't fertilize. <laughs> There's a lot well, of green lawn. You understand. <laughs> um, as far as water and sewer, we did um, just recently built a water treatment facility off uh, off of Elm Street in the back properties. Uh, that water facility treatment facility. We have two large pumping stations that go through that facility, cleans up all the iron and manganese and uh, gives us a lot of more clean water in that area. So that was really a, a huge um, plus for us in town. It also gives us redundancy in our system. Before we were counting on only a certain amount of pumping wells, one well goes down, we have to put water bands on, we can't fill our, our storage tanks, uh, fire suppression gets um, to be uh, an issue, the pressure out of the tanks when they, when they drop too low, you don't have the pressures coming out of there. So it's really important that we have redundancy in our system that we could rely on other um, pumps, pumping stations to, to help that out. So that does, um, one of the big things is that the maintenance of that plant, uh, electricity costs, propane costs, um, that's reflected in these, um, in the increases in the water department. So the 25,000 is for increased electric usage? Yes. That's what that is? Okay. Yes. The uh, consultant actually asked us to put in um, close to $200,000 last year. So we were kind of unsure where we were going to be at. So we we put in a, a figure that was low, but now you know we're trying to, trying to get to the point where we, we understand what it's going to cost us year to year because it's a brand new plan. Um, sewers are one of our bigger concerns. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with INI. It's inflow and infiltration in our system. Uh, infiltration is where our sewer system should be a tight system, but you develop cracks over the course of years from aging pipes, from root damage, from a lot of different things that happen. When that happens, you get cracks in your system and actually you get a lot of groundwater infiltrating into your system and eventually makes it to our wastewater treatment plant. Sometimes our um, our facility is a 1.6 million gallon facility. That's what we can do daily to treat at the treatment plant. When we have these INI events, sometimes we're in the neighborhood of 3 million gallons, which a lot of times you have to bypass certain, uh, certain systems in our services in our system. It's not that we're throwing any sewage into the child's river. It's more the fact that it's a, uh, over the legal contaminant level, still not anything, anything harmful. It's just that we're out of compliance at times because of the amount of water going through. Um, we are working really hard with capital to try to get these uh, this INI uh, reduced. You never go. Yep. What is INI? So it's inflow and infiltration. Infiltration when you get uh, cracks in the pipe. Inflow is actually, if you think about a lot of. Uh, homeowners may be connected directly into our sewer system with their sump pumps. And that's something that we cannot see from, you know, unless we actually go into people's homes. So we're hoping that we, right now we found a large area um, or a narrow area uh, 
in the Harding and Phillips Street area that we find a lot of I&I coming from. So we're working with the consultant to try to narrow that down, try to reduce that down so that we can, um, so we don't have any compliance issues in the future. Sure. So, so with all this rain, it's really difficult. So, so that's the 25,000 sewer chemicals? The sewer, the sewer, that's what, because of the amount of water coming through the system, we have to use more chemicals to kill what the bacteria and everything else, because we're bypassing certain contact time. So you're, the more chemical you use, the better chance you're getting all of the contaminants out of, this, out of the system before it goes into the, into the river. So. Um, sewer sludge disposal, that's another part of the um, issue where you're dropping uh, a lot of the sludge that comes through. It's in holding tanks. We have to pump more out. The prices have gone up in chemicals and sewer sludge, and we anticipate it to stay, stay rising. So these are nominal figures. It's for the amount of, um, amount of influent um, sewers that we, we, we treat every, every day. So, but welcome to take any questions that you have on anything you see in my budget. I mean, it seems like the, the big, uh, the big item was the, uh, the forty thousand dollars stormwater management, and then, like, so again, I should mention. Uh, sorry, sorry, I forgot. I should have said this at the beginning. I have confirmed with uh, Christine and Frank that the budgets for the town side, there is no increase in FDs except for the park and the budget, which will have a half of that. All the other departments. There's no increase in FDs. So I just, just want to make sure that people understood that in case they had that question. But you, sorry, I interrupted. No, no, no. <laughs> so, Mel, when you, you talk about the stormwater management and, you, and read all about the flooding and the increased amount of flooding, how does that so the increased amount of, into the future for yourself? As far as, far as flooding, it's more on the, on the sewer side. The flooding doesn't affect. Um, it, it doesn't affect that more phosphorus, more contaminants are, are entering into our water system through the through our drainage system because it gets flooded, it, it, it drains, and it goes into a lot of um, customers that have issues with their sumps and they there's no place for them to put it. Um, we ask that they they're asking us to tie into our drainage system. We really can't allow them to direct connect into our drainage system without having them cleaning that water first. Because what we do is we sample every year dry weather and wet weather sampling in all our outfalls all around the whole town. If there's any contaminants that are uh, over the limit, we're responsible to track that down to see where it's coming from. So some people throw things in our, in our basins. They they pour in you know things that they they may not supposed to be put in there, and we find that it's called an illicit an illicit discharge. We find that information. We track it back. We have to clean that. So it's 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 a constant uh, cost to us to, to 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 make sure our stormwater is in compliance. And you know our guys have been doing a great job over the years with our GIS, with our um, with uh, doing all the maintenance that you need to do. We uh, we we sweep the roads. All the debris that comes from the roads adds to all this as well. So 
we, we sweep the roads multiple times a year. You'll see the street sweeper out all the time. So yeah, that's one of the next capital items in a couple of years. So if we're back to a question I'm going to ask you about sure. capital budget sure. this year and into the next in the five year plan, is there? So we're looking at so a lot of the sewer needs to be looked at. We have an aging um, wastewater treatment plan. It's been built in the 70s where uh, ARPA funding has been allowing us to, we're looking at doing a, uh, at a full assessment of the wastewater treatment plant right now. And that's gonna show us what, what improvements we can make down there. Um, you can't get rid of, rid of I and I altogether. The best thing to do is to reduce it and see what you can do, make improvements to handle uh, more flow if, if needed at times. So when we do that, we're, we're gonna have projects coming up at the wastewater treatment plant to make improvements down there. So that's one of the things that uh, for capital on on the water side, on the sewer side. And, that, and so you're working with the capital budget committee. For yeah, it, it goes through the enterprise fund. It, goes, enterprise fund. it does go through that. It goes through, um, you know, the rates structure. Mm -hmm. We're doing a rate study as we speak, um, just make sure that we're, you know, our capital projects are in line with our rate structure. Okay. Um, but sewer, Imagine that's a big ticket item. So it, is. Upgrade that sewer it, is. it is. And, uh, you know, even if we reduce INI, we want to continue a maintenance program to to keep that reduced. Because uh, once you develop more and more practice, you let it go without doing any kind of maintenance. Uh, we're, we're big. We're really big into preventive maintenance. So once we get things fixed, uh, we want to make sure it stays that. Way. So you did, you've done a nice job on North Street and did West Street. What? Where are we in the projection of future road work so uh, i'm glad you said that well not really but really but <laughs> <laughs> you won't like what i am <laughs> so in our pavement management you know it gives us uh, kind of a segue into what roads that are best cost benefit to the town uh sometimes you have to change that depending on the winters depending on the uh the flooding uh hartford street has become an issue lately um you know that's going to need another a whole drainage system, um, or else we're gonna see more and more closures. Causeway Street, you see closed a lot. There's nothing we can do about Causeway Street right now. I mean, you'd have to spend millions of dollars to, to widen it, to raise it, to, uh, to do what you can. It's just just in the, uh, you know, it was a farm road. It was, um, the culvert was replaced, but there's so much water that comes through that system that it's just impossible to, to, to handle, uh, especially in these things, these kind of events. Um, we're looking at Bridge Street. We're looking at um, some of the subdivision work. Um, we're looking at West Mill and Harding, uh, but we also have one of it being coordination with a couple different things. One with the state hospital, one with water and sewer replacements. So we have to look into that too, because you don't want to redo a road and all of a sudden have to rip it up in a couple of years because the water line needs to be replaced. You kind of have to do it all at once looking at sidewalks, you know, we want to make sure this is a, a mobile community as well. And we have a lot of sidewalks in town that we try to rehab um, with our own staff. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on us to put new sidewalks in. I mean, everybody wants to have a sidewalk to their home and all the way to the center of town. And we'd love to do that. It's just that we have to prioritize. We have to take care of handicapped accessibility in, in a lot of our curb ramps. We did on South Street, go down South Street. Yeah. Good job. We just did that in all 27 curb ramps that have probably an average of three, three to four thousand dollars each on those curb ramps. So 
it gets costly. So we're trying to put a program together to try to try to attack that as well as the roadways, as well as the sidewalks, as well as the drainage and water and sewer. And it's a, a lot. So any other questions for well? Oh, I just had a quick question. Last year we did like where it was an adjustment collective for the town. Is that the same this year? Yes. For now, we're going to put that in one line and then towards the end of the budget process to allocate and Okay, so we're not seeing it yet. The cost of the cost of living. Right. Yeah. But the longevity should be here. And then the longevity should be here. Okay. So just for the new members, that's so the, they, they budget central for the cost of living adjustment, and then they allocate that out to the departments after when the budget's all set. Should we think? Um, uh, should we think about fertilizer guidance? Would that help you with the phosphorus? Yeah, education would be huge to uh, to for the community. I mean, you know, we have. We do have, offer different programs with our stormwater management. We do a leaf pro, uh, program. We we do different things with um, the Ponset Stormwater Partnership that we're members with. Um, education is nothing, you know, nothing better than that with public outreach for that. Like some towns mandate these types shouldn't be used. Is that is there a specific problem you're having with different types? For it's itself? not so much different types. It's just you know if someone if everyone organic, we wouldn't have as much of a problem. But not everybody's going to spend the extra money for, for the organic unless you're really uh, conscious about it. So Scotts and uh, Pennington and all those, uh, I'm sure they have uh, quite a bit of phosphorus. And, and there's other things that uh, create phosphorus as well. It's not just it's not just fertilizers, but I don't have the list in front of me, but uh, that's the main one. It's still fertilizers. Anybody wants a, a green lawn? Any other questions for Mo? Well, thank you very much. No, thank you guys. I really appreciate uh, Thanks a lot. Thank you for everything you do. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. Appreciate what you guys do. Thank you. Okay, did you guys cross shots back there? No, they're gone. Did you think you shouldn't see me? It's no longer in another place. Besides, you're going to need my good mood after him. Very pleasant. <laughs> Peter, I don't know if you want to say. Yeah, I'll just say, uh, you know, I, I met with Jim um, Carrico on the 15th of December, had a nice conversation. Um, it was my first conversation with them. I thought it was uh, really clear, um, you know, what, what sort of constraints he's operating under and what he's done to really maximize the. The service provided uh, within that. I think he's uh, got a very a clear story that I'm sure he'll share uh, with us. So, but I, I came away with a pretty good understanding. It seems like, and keep me honest, but it seems like EMT is rising as a share of, of your work, and that's changing sort of some of the cost mix, which uh, was uh, um, something to keep an eye on and, and, uh, and plan for. All right, good evening. Sorry, I didn't get your name. Oh, Carico. Carico. Yeah, C A R R I C L. Right. William C. Wayne. Um, all right, so uh, the fire department uh, budget. Um, basically, uh, we're operating the fire department with 26 members, 13 full time members, 13 on call members. 
2023 was our busiest year that we've had since I've been here. We did 1,530 calls. Of that, 60% were medicals. The budget that was presented has an overall increase of 45,756. Uh, it basically includes contract percent increases for 12 members, step increases for six, vacation increases for three, longevity for seven, a sick time increase over fiscal year 23, some educational incentives for four members, uh, recall, uh, which I, I estimate basically how many times I expect people to come back, how many box alarms, that number's actually gone down because I've made some operational changes, and a little increase for acting captain because of some of the vacation time and people not taking some time off. Uh, we have vacation carryover. I'm sure you're aware that the personnel bylaw it basically states that if you don't use your vacation time by December 31st, you can carry it over to September. In the past, that number has really hurt me because a lot of people have carried time over. And what happens is, is one of the difficult things for me is forecasting that carryover because where I came from, everything reset July 1. So you had to use all your vacation time by July 1, and you got your new stuff in July. So there were some points where I had $60,000 in vacation time that was not, had no financial count to it. So potentially you could take that time. And, and, and a perfect example is my firefighters get personal time. They get 36 hours of personal time every year. So when it gets awarded on July 1, the firefighter took the time in December, and then he got awarded it again in July 1, and then he took it in like uh, March or April. So in one year, he used two years of personal time, the way that the, the way we do it here in the town. So it's very, very difficult for me to try to figure out where people are using things. But what I have done, I told uh, the whole department, you have to start using it and burn it up by December 31st. So uh, a good majority of the Firefighters that I had used up all of their time, with the exception of one or two, which had over 100 hours. And they have since started to dig into that time. So that number is starting to decrease. So it won't be much of a burden this fiscal year. Mm -hmm. I anticipate we should be pretty good by the end of this fiscal year. And the impact of that is that over time to cover the Yeah, it's over time to cover the shift. So what we try to do is we try to maintain a shift commander and two firefighters all the time. So that allows for ALS ambulance coverage. And what happens is if the ambulance goes to the hospital, I still have a shift commander here that the next call that comes in, um, he will respond with the off-duty personnel and he will try to get the second ambulance on the air. It's a little difficult because we don't have enough paramedics. And one of the future needs that I have is, is hiring the fourth, fourth person on the shift, which would be another paramedic. So I'd be able to, pr to provide two ALS ambulances all the time. Uh, happened today. Uh, the ambulance went to the hospital. We ended up doing a box alarm, which I call back any available person come back. I did not get a paramedic. Uh, the patient was um, having some difficulty with her blood pressure. So her blood pressure was fine as long as she was sitting. She stands up, blood pressure drops, becomes dizzy, nauseous. So technically that's an ALS call. So I ended up having to call Millis. Millis came over with their paramedics. I handed the patient off and then they ended up going to the hospital. They collect their revenue. This last year, that's happened to probably, we've had about 64 second medicals, five third medicals. So that means three medicals all happening at the same time. 
So that's ultimately our goal is we have to have a fourth person so we can staff both ambulances and ALS. So we can always provide an ALS. You know, once you get three calls deep, it's it's just a roll of the dice. You start calling mutual aid to cover your cover the town. I have advertised for over a month for a firefighter paramedic position because I had a captain uh, resign. He went to become the director of the Mass Fire Academy. Uh, so I have an opening right now. I had two valid candidates apply. One was a paramedic, one was an EMT going to paramedic school. Uh, 15 minutes prior to the interview, the paramedic, paramedic withdrew from the interview process. So right now, I have no valid candidates. I've advertised for over a month. I'm advertising again. I have another candidate that's out in the limb. It's, it's not a simple process. Um, there's some things that need to be vetted through. But uh, right now I'm advertising for one position and I have an open captain spot. I'm having a captain's exam on the Saturday. Seven out of the eight eligible people are going to take the exam. My, I also have another captain that's advised me that he will probably be retiring in June or July. So ultimately I'll have two captains open. So I'm, I'm on the hunt as every other fire department in mass. There are more positions than there are people available. And basically, if you are an up-and-coming firefighter paramedic, you can, let me see the contract in Medfield, let me see the contract in Franklin, let me see the contract in this town, and they basically can pick their department as long as they have a successful interview and they have no background that's questionable. One of the things that was a decrease in my budget, I know you guys like to hear that, is that on the expense side, we have decided, uh, well, I was told by the town hall that we're going to take $75,000 out of the ambulance revolving fund. So any um, cost that I have associated with the ambulance will be taken out of the ambulance revolving fund. So I went through the budget meticulously and, and picked out all of those things that I usually would charge to the ambulance. And now that's gonna be charged directly to that account, up to $75,000. I, I will anticipate that going forward, I could probably find some more little things like uh, fuel. There's another thing that we could probably pick and, and apply to that account. But for this upcoming fiscal year, that's what we're gonna do. Can I add some context to that? I, I think I understand and please keep me honest that what was interesting to me about this, the fire department, was that there are elements of like a revenue generating. If you, if you go help another town, you're going to ultimately see some uh, revenue from the insurance costs or direct through health insurance. Yep. That's um, um, one of my, I, I have uh, written down uh, to date right now, we have $51,353 in BOS billing. And $271,214 in ALS billing. Yeah. So if we go to Millis and we take an ALS patient out of Millis and transport them to the hospital, if they have great insurance, we can bill $2,200. So that's we end up collecting that revenue. And now that revenue you were saying goes to the revolving funds? Is that that, that money would go into the account? Yeah. Uh, the mileage would go into a separate account, which we're trying to change. Because we want to get rid of that mileage account. And so now some of those expenses are flowing over there. Too. Correct. Now that money, the plumbing's coming back. So we're actually using some of that money to fund the operational, uh, the expenses. And then that goes back to if magically we had more uh, ALS uh, staff, we could maybe respond to more 
um, it's not just pure cost. There's a, a revenue offset. Uh, yeah. Correct. So that's, I think, an interesting dynamic that took me a little while to wrap my head around, but I, I appreciated that. Yeah, like the call that we gave to Millis, potentially we lost 2200 bucks mm. in billing. You know, and, and I looked at that. Well, we will never be self-funding because we just don't do enough volume. Sure. Even even when I was down the Cape, it's, we had so many ambulance calls. Uh, we were pulling in $2.5 million in ambulance revenue and I had an operational cost of $4.9 million. So you just, you'll never be able to uh, make what you, what you spend. Uh, capital items, I have uh, hose and nozzles uh, replacement. I'm also trying to go after some federal grants. I was unsuccessful with the uh, AFG grants. That's the assistance to firefighter grants. I had uh, put submitted for hose and nozzles. The next time that comes around, I'm going to submit that again. I also did a staffing grant for four firefighters. Uh, that was unsuccessful. It looked like the federal government targeted larger communities. So they were giving money to Worcester, Boston, you know, $14 million grant awards instead of the smaller $1.2 million, which is what I was asking for. Uh, just so you know, in grants since May of 2018, I brought in $600,000 in different grants in total. Uh, looking forward, um, fire inspector is something that uh, is really a need that we're going to have full time for a full-time position. If you look at the amount of solar projects that we had, we had a we were inundated with these solar projects. So a fire inspector who is also a ship commander, he's actually working right now. So what the fire inspector does is when he's on duty, he's also going out doing all these inspections. And when we, when we become overloaded with inspections, he ends up coming back on overtime to, to go out and do inspections. But having that full-time fire inspector would be a bonus for us. The amount of the projects that we have are becoming more complicated. There's a lot more work being done. And it, it's, it's so technically involved now with all the changes now that we're getting closer to becoming more compliant with NFPA and all the different um, international fire codes and all these other things that the state of Mass is starting to adopt. Uh, Really, that's a good question. Yeah. You have in the area of grants, do you have grants that are funding, you know, people yeah. uh, that uh, will end in the next year or two? You know, there's, a, there's an issue with how you deal with that. Well, well in that, especially that safer grant. So yeah. right now, the safer grant is uh, full salaries for three years. It doesn't pay you any money for overtime, so it's your OPEB costs. It's all that all that costs for base salaries. So overtime is on you, equipment's on you, and then at the end of the three years, the community can cut those people loose and, and lay them off, or you can uh, find the money and, and continue their employment. And that's the way the safer grant works. Every year it was different. Uh, there were years where they'd say they funded 100% the first year, 75% the second year, 50% the third, and then the fourth year, you had to keep them, so you couldn't let them go, so that was like the hook. And then after that fifth year, you can do whatever you want. Um, so that's, when does that expire? Two years, you said? Well, no, that, I have to apply yeah. and be successful with that grant, so I haven't gotten it yet. Okay, okay. That's My hope was to get it, but when, it, it's kind of, it, the trend, like I said, the trend was, it was, they, was they were feeding uh, departments, bigger communities, cities, okay. 
Okay. Right, it's, it's like I said, almost every fire department is looking for firefighters right now. There's, there's more jobs than people. It's, it's, I've never seen this before. Back when I was first hired, I used to be threatened. You know, there's 100 people waiting to come in the building, and now it, it's, there's no way. It's, it's, just, it's, it's just amazing. I've just never seen this before. When I, when I would put out an advertisement for a position, I'd get 90 applications. No, I got two. You know, I, I have some dreamers that go different parts of the country, but it's just that there's no way somebody's going to move from Iowa or Florida to here, you know, and within two or three weeks' notice. It's just, it's unfeasible. So Do you think that that's... Excuse me, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just curious if you think that that's a function of, like, the amount of available workers or that the work needed to meet all these new... Requirements of just like increased how many people the different departments need. I, I think there's um, quite a bit of people that aren't entering the paramedic program. And what happened is we were stealing paramedics from Brewster Ambulance, Cataldo Ambulance. And what they did in turn was they raised their rates to be comparable with the fire departments, and which kind of made the, the, the pool a little more challenging for us. You know, usually you could lure these people away with the salary, and now you can't do that. And now, because there's so many other so many jobs out there now that you can basically job search and you can say, okay, I want to work in Franklin because they pay you know thirty five dollars an hour starting. We're here, we're thirty dollars. So, how many people are you down right now? Well, I have one position that's open, and you know my future needs is adding four. That's not in the budget. That is not in the budget. That's to be discussed. Future day. And the one last thing that I go ahead. I'm sorry. On the issue of the fire inspector that you said is needed, given all it's all the different inspections you're having to do. I, I was just sitting here thinking, and this may be completely impractical. Couldn't you hire a recent shout out to Brent Northeastern Brad to give him some training? And he's got to be certified. So you get certified by going to the Mass Fire Academy. Uh, and, and it, it, it also comes down to uh, having people that can do all the jobs. So if I hire somebody who can only do one job, so now it's me and the fire inspector standing there. He's not certified as an EMT. He's only been brought in to do inspections. Then if I have a medical call, because I went on a medical call this morning, you know, you know what I mean? That, that's the whole part of it. Because I, I thought through the process of hiring people who have a one position. It's like if you go and you say, okay, chief, I want you to hire 10 paramedics. So a medical comes in, so I call back the 10 paramedics. Now a fire comes in or a fire alarm comes in. So now I'm calling back all the firefighters. So now I could have potentially 20 people standing there where if that other call come in and I already did the recall, I could just send those guys who are already standing here. Um, it's kind of like, have, I kind of think of it like having the Swiss Army knife, having the guys that can do all the jobs. And that would be the thing is that this fire inspector that going future needs, he would also be a training officer. So he'd be training on duty training with the firefighters. He'd be doing the department training monthly and having him not just do one role but having him do multiple roles. And have you, um, I don't know if this is done in other towns, but uh, is this an area where you could uh, regionalize? Well, I'm always open to regionalization. It's just, you know, then it comes into, I, I think it comes into those MOUs that you have to establish. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be something that we would have to look at. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of... How do you deal with the, the, 
fire inspection now? Have you? You, well, you don't you don't do them or do no no what happens is is my captain that's on duty we try to schedule things when he's available okay yeah. so what I do is I have two captains that are trained in inspections one is the lead the second is the backup and he prim the backup primarily does the resale inspections so we're required on on the sale of a residential property we're required to go out and inspect for operational CEO, uh, CEO and smoke detectors. And it's all based on when the house is built. So we have this chart. If it's pre-75, it has to be battery operated with a 10-year battery. And then it goes to the next tear and then to the next tear and to the next tear. So if we have a specialized inspection, we have to schedule it on the date that the Captain King is available. Or I'm like the go-to that if something, something has to get done, then I'll go out and take care of it. But I was really good at, at being a fire inspector 10 years ago, and then they changed the fire code. So they got rid of the old 527 code and then made it 527 CMR1, which incorporated this NFPA1. And then they did Massachusetts amendments because Massachusetts has to be different. We can't, we can't just adopt what somebody already has. Um, so now I have these two pieces. And then you have to look at this code and flip over to the other one to see if it's Massachusetts amended. So it's 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 rather involved, and he's a great guy for it. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions, Chief? Yeah, Brent, you got any, any questions for Chief? No, I I don't. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Any questions at all? Nine one one. I've asked Frank to hand out um, just uh, something for you guys to read. I understand you can't read it right now, but we'll talk about a few things. And if you're like me, you're going to forget the minute you walk out the door. So I just wanted you to have something to go back to. Um, so I certainly think with my budget this year, we have the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I'll go into a couple of things, unless Pete, you want to uh, say it. I would just start. say, you know, we met on the, also on the 15th, which I was uh, getting a lot of meetings done on Friday. Um, I thought it was a great discussion, really. Uh, um, uh, happy to see the sort of you know really good organized budget. Um, and it sounds like with March, there's an up, you know, upcoming vote in March with on the um civil service, which is sort of like a kind of running running change and it sort of dominates the discussion uh, because it would be a, a change the the uh the one of the largest line items in the budget. So I think that's sort of the biggest challenge uh going forward is to understand you know how do you manage to do that so i thought that was an interesting dynamic that i'm sure you'll get into yeah the very important vote yeah. at the end of march the last town meeting we passed you know a town meeting but there's always this this vote that had to happen that it's important that that passed <laughs> so i'll speak to that um so the town really tried to make some incredible strides this year um first of all settling uh, what I think is arguably an extremely competitive collective bargaining agreement with Medfield Police League. Um, while making us highly competitive, we are about to experience the absolutely devastating effects of 
how competitive that contract is. And that is with our salary line increasing. I think we're going up about 8%, 8%. If, if I'm not mistaken, 10%. and 10%, yeah. I believe, yeah. yes. I would like to talk a little bit about that because um, I think it's the, the elephant in the room. Um, it's a huge line increase. So what the town had agreed to with the union is that they placed a strong emphasis on education. Um, and there are plenty of reasons and really fantastic reasons for that, for that. Highly educated officers tend to use less force. They compile better police reports. We have better solvability rates. Um, and they bring less liability in terms of unprofessional or misconduct. And those are the things that cost towns money. Um, the big change is that in 2025 in July, their education incentive will become part of their base wages. And so what we currently do is we work through BELSA with our system. So basically, if I have a police officer who works 20 hours of overtime, he's actually got to hit 181 or 182 hours in 28 days of regular work before that education incentive gets included into his overtime. Most of the guys don't do that. Our officers are afforded incredible amounts of time off, earned time off, so they get a lot of vacation time, sick time, personal time. So very rarely do they hit that 181, 182 in the 28 days. What this does by putting the education incentive into their base wage is it automatically increases their overtime rate. So it increases their overtime rate on average by 32%. So I'll give you some numbers because I do want you to understand that as a, a manager of this organization, I'm working tirelessly to give us efficient police services. Okay. Yeah. So the education incentive. So yes. this is for them to take classes at a community college or for them? Well, what is, okay. what are they being incentivized to do? So there used to be something called the Quinn Bill. And what it said is if an officer possessed a degree, associate's, bachelor's, or master's degree, they were given a percentage of their base wages for having attained that degree. degree. Basically, a higher, higher educated officer is a better police officer. When Deval Patrick was governor, he took away that incentive and some of the towns adopted the incentive. So for our officers, it is 10% for an associate's degree, 20% for a bachelor's degree, and 25% for a master's degree. Uh, so these are significant increases. Um, and this is, uh, this is all in the collective market. It is all that's, as part of the collective market. It is all in you know, yeah. Right. So th this is the new negotiated agreement. I will say that the education incentive alone is two hundred and nineteen thousand four hundred and ninety-seven dollars. That is based on the oh, number sorry, of degrees. Two hundred nineteen thousand four hundred and ninety-seven dollars is what we pay currently in our education incentive. I am about to hire. We just hired two officers tonight. That's where I was earlier. Um, we are hiring one more, uh, which will bring us back to a full complement of officers. We were very fortunate to get some transfers in um, to our organization, and I will talk to you a little bit about civil service and where we are with that. Um, I said it at the town, uh, the select board meeting tonight. 
we are getting our staffing back on because we have good young officers who are talking about our police department in a positive way. And that's what's getting people to come to us. This education incentive, no doubt. Yeah. So when I took over, um, one of the first things I noticed was that we were running an extraordinary amount of overtime for an agency hour size. Uh, in the seven fiscal years prior to my uh, coming to Medfield, we averaged uh, 10,796 hours of overtime per fiscal year. In 2018, or sorry, fiscal year 18, the department had increased that number to 11,782 hours of overtime. And in fiscal year 19, we were on pace for 11,635. I took over at the end of April and we reduced that number by 50%, only utilizing 900 more hours for the remainder of the fiscal year. Since I have uh, taken over the budget, we have reduced our overtime from an average of 10,796 hours down to 7,714, a 33.3% decrease in our overtime hours. How did you do that? By having some more accountability. Um, I think I pay attention to numbers. The numbers are kind of in my wheelhouse. Uh, I think I'll tell you the one rule I made when I got here is I simply said all overtime is approved. I just need to know where you're going to be and what time you're going to be there. So I'll let you draw your own conclusions, but a 33.3% reduction in overtime as a result. And that's going to hit what fiscal year? That's in that that is, 23. That is how we have been averaging. That's our average over the last four years is 7,700. This last year, we did 8,350 hours, 800 and I believe 97 or 79 of it was attributed to training. Um, 5,299 of those hours are for personal time off. So these are our officers taking vacations, sick, holidays, personal time. Um, that amounts, for those of you who want to do the math, uh, our people took 662 days off last year. Why does personal time kind of overtime? So we run our organization at 19 sworn. So it's myself, the deputy, and 17 officers. In order for us to staff by population for what's a safe number to um, actually protect the town at a population of roughly 13,000, we should have minimum of three officers out on the street. That number can flex based on you know different factors. Um, the summertime is a little bit slower. But it means that every time a police officer takes a day off here, I have to backfill that position. So what you'll see in my budget is what we actually have to do is take our hourly wage. I have to do an average of our hourly wage now, including their education incentive. And then that average has to be applied to how many hours I'm going to use for my personal leave. So the hours I know my officers are going to take off. 25 vacation days, three personal days. Roughly, they've been averaging about 10 sick days. That's the industry norm right now is a lot more sick time is being used. Uh, they get up to six comp days and 12 holidays. So a brand new officer walking in up the street gets roughly 43 days off a year. So the reduction, I'm sorry, it's a reduction, uh, the, the, the increase to a full complement. Would you anticipate that will also be a reduction in the overtime because of 
less need to cover or is that not so much? No, it'll just be how it gets spread out. If anything, you might see an increase because we're bringing in veteran officers, so they're coming in at those higher levels of earned time a month. Um, we do award it by contract. The rate we were using, so for example, I can tell you that with our current staffing, I know that I'm going to have 2,560 hours to backfill for vacation alone. Um, the average rate Okay, at this point, if I take the median of all of my officers, is $66.65 for a total of $170,624. Ultimately, what I budget for my overtime, I've had to increase by 32%, which is around $200,000. So when we did the cost out for this contract, we estimated the contract was going to be $240,000. $43,000 of that was the percentage increase. And the other 197,000 is the overtime increase because their rate has gone up exponentially. Uh, if I have one of my senior sergeants working, he will get a, be getting a rate of pay of $87 and change per hour. Can I ask a question? Yes. Um, so in terms of the, the change from FY24 to FY25, mm -hmm. that 243,000, like you said, 219 of it is due to the special or the educational incentive. Um, right? So that's a portion of it, but that's not the total increase amount because we were paying an education in, educational incentive, um, but some people were at a flat rate. Okay. So in this last contract negotiation, they negotiated to go back to percentage that's rates. what i want to understand is what what was the deal before the new contract came into place so there was a hybrid in place so some officers who had been here with the original quinn bill maintained the original quinn bill so those were percentages our newer officers were at flat rates but as every raise and every contract went that disparity got larger and larger because the percentage employees their degrees went up as their contract or their base rate went up and our newer employees were flatlined at a flat rate. So that was one of the negotiated items. It was the big negotiation yeah. of this last contract. Okay. Okay. And is it a 40 hour work week? And if you've taken time off during that, does that count towards your hours work? So by contract, our officers work a four and two, they're obligated to work 1,944 hours. Just to give you an idea, the average American on the five-day work week works 2,080 hours a week. Um, it really has to do with a brand new officer walking in the door, gets 10 vacation days, 12 holidays, three personal days, and up to six comp days, and 15 sick days. That's year one. We're finding on average they are using the majority of that time off. So I take those hours, and when I'm looking at, you know, sort of 80 hours, to backfill the 10 days vacation, roughly another 10 days or 80 hours for sick time, another 24 hours for personal time. All of that gets added up. On average, I'm running between 5,306,000 hours a year just to backfill for personal time. Are they unused vacation and sick time uh, carryover? Is it carries over until the following September and then it has to be used. It went different than the fire. 
and four and two is four days work and two days off and it just cycles. Correct. Yes. So on a four and two schedule, they actually work less than, like I said, the average American does 2,080 hours in a year. A four and two schedule means that you only do five day work weeks, two out of every six week cycle. So it's four, uh, four days work, two days off. Correct. Four and two. Yep. All on other shifts. Eight hours. We do seven to three, three to 11, 11 to seven. Well, you've done a, you've done a great job managing the difficult uh, overtime situation and staffing. You're, you're up to you're close to full staffing. Um, I, we are waiting just to get the paperwork and um, to make the official announcement that we are back at full staffing. That's great. Awesome. Um, I do want to let you know that that was very difficult to do with civil service. We had 262 candidates given to us for our civil service list. Of our first top 100 candidates, we only had seven people come and sign for the department and six of them withdrew within the first week. Um, we had to go over 165 names down the list to find three qualified candidates. I won't continue this practice that we have had of hiring people because we are a safety department because that costs us money. What we are getting are candidates who want to go someplace else, but will put us down on the list. They come here, we train them, and the minute they are trained, they walk out the door. Training costs for an individual officer over $60,000 per officer. Their uniforms, the academy, and then I have to pay their salary for six months and backfill their position. And that is the vicious cycle that we have been in, which is why it was imperative for me to take some transfers. Those are people that are coming here because they want to come so, here. Okay. So you're not worried about this these new hires because they're transfers. I'm less worried. Less worried. <laughs> <laughs> I'm less and, worried. And you know, this is why we have to get this vote approved to month, the end of March. So she should switch to the other. Yeah, you know, she doesn't have to be on the same. Right. So you yeah. can hire any any right. Uh, we right. got our list in July, and I'm still trying to finish hiring off of it. The second thing is I haven't been able to promote anybody. Civil service had one of their promotional exams challenged in the courts. The courts determined that the exam had a disparate impact on the minority population, and they reissued their exam. I will tell you, I think what they've done with their exam is an abomination. Um, they are including, so previously you had to have a minimum cognitive score that showed your ability to understand the law and then your judgment to apply it. You had to have a score of 70. And then after achieving that score, things like your seniority, your experience, your trainings would come in to bolster up your score. They now factor that into your base score as well. So we conceivably have people that are scoring 60 on a promotional exam um, that are going to be supervisors. I think it's a travesty for our organization and our profession. And I think we're going to perpetuate um, poor leadership. By doing it so but that is the system that civil service is in uh they didn't promote anybody for over a year so i did provisional promotions which is entitled um i'm hoping to get one or two people off the civil service list to promote i need four and if, if the if the uh vote in march is to go off of civil service mm -hmm. will you then be able to promote 
within your own criteria or what was the time frame of that be? We negotiated with the um, union. So right now the process for civil service, they finally did a test in September. I don't still, I still do not have the results of the test from September. It's a computer test. You take it on a computer. So I don't know why I don't have the results yet. Um, it's a 90 day turnaround is what we negotiated with the union. Uh, so test vendor that comes out scored uh, very, very brief appeals process, uh, but I should have my results uh, within 90 to 100 days. Well, this, to Steve's point, I think uh, we're very fortunate to have your leadership and Chief Corso, same in terms of balancing you know, budget constraints that, that the town works within and the, and the need to perform the services. So thank you. Okay. And we appreciate we appreciate you doing this uh, very thorough memo. Um, I, will read it. I will read statistics. it. Yeah. Um, just one last thing closing, and then I'm certainly take happy to take any questions. Um, I spoke to Chief Carrico about this. This is actually something that he has been pretty passionate about, um, and I think it's kind of got me at a point where I'm on his team. Um, and we also had our new deputy come in from Rentham, who has been through this process. There is a way for us to uh, consider cutting our budget, uh, and it would be the regionalization of our dispatch center. Our dispatch center currently cost me uh, $259,000 in salary, not including benefits, an additional 9,000 in training for our dispatchers. Uh, I do have to cross train all of my officers on dispatch. That's another $17,900 for us to do that. Plus we have to buy all of our equipment, maintain it, have maintenance contracts, and we're required by state law to audit our systems on a monthly basis, which are man hours. I have to have somebody sit and listen to our dispatch calls, and that's what they do for hours a day. Uh, the ancillary costs of having that facility here are upwards of $400,000 salaries all in. Um, our dispatchers do a fantastic job for what we have, and I certainly would never say that they're not giving you a great service. But the reality of it is, if we go to a regionalized dispatch, we know we have two dispatchers listening at any point in time, and the volume of calls that they take just hones their skill better than we can provide here. I know there are some people that believe having this center here um, provides a level of community uh, interaction, but I'll tell you that none of my dispatchers are from Netflix. This is a job for them. Um, they learn the town like anybody else does by coming to work every day. Uh, it's a consideration. I know some people will have opinions on it, but I did want the warrant committee to kind of put that in the back of their heads that this is an area we could probably cut uh, at least, you know, at least $400,000. Is, 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 is the regional dispatch widely used? Uh, like other communities? Yes, as a matter of fact, just this last year, Sherburn and Halston, Halston, I think most recently a month ago, went to regional. The state certainly is throwing a lot of money to behind it to towns to get them to do yeah. regional. Um, they haven't come out and said yet that that's what they'd like us to do, but I'll tell you that they are telling us in a lot of other ways 
they are no longer doing our reporting services for us. So this year we had to purchase our own recording devices for our 911, all of our maintenance contracts for it. Um, and then we have to self-audit for those and do all of our discovery. So because we do all the recording here, anytime we have a uh, case go to court, we have to go back and prepare all the tapes for court. Just the man hours associated with it. So so quietly. Yeah, with these other towns that are that have already regionalized, are they doing it with well, how big is the group that they're regionalizing? Is it two, three towns that are getting together? So a lot of the regional centers that are already established have waiting lists at this point. They don't want to get so big that they can't manage. So they have, you know, four or five towns. Um, we had did have a study done for Medfield um, that agreed that Dover, Millis, Bellingham, us, and I want to say Medway were the most reasonable regional fit. Uh, Chris Sapphire, the uh, chief Sapphire, excuse me, over in Millis, um, was willing to entertain having his locale be center of that um, facility. Uh, like I said, I think there'd be some pushback from people, some people in town. I'm sure my dispatchers are, I warned them tonight that I was going to say this, so they're not caught off guard. Um, I just think it's it's the way, it's where we see small towns going. Um, there are obvious huge financial implications and those are big numbers, and yeah. with technology today, you know, that's I, I would think that we would think hard about trying to get to a, a regionalized model. One of the things that Chief Carrico said when he was talking about why he wouldn't just hire an inspector, and I want to piggyback back that with you. My dispatchers are lovely people, and they do a fantastic job, but they can only do one job for me, and that's pick up the phone. Um, if I were to to remove four and a half because we have a part-time dispatcher, I would still want to man the front of the building. There are many ways to do that, but even if I manned it just during the day, kind of normal business hours, if I can pick up two police officers, then that's somebody that can take a report at the window. Right now, my dispatchers have to call someone in. They can't take a report at the window. It's somebody that if we had an emergency, would leave that office and respond out to an emergency. Um, so, so I think, you know, just I get a little more bang for my buck. Yeah. So this sounds like motherhood would be, I mean, I get it, you're dispatchers, and I'm no disrespect intended to them. But other than that, is there any constituency that would be opposed to this? Um, I do think that there is, and it's a misconception, but I think that there are some people that believe that when you pick up the phone and somebody in that office answers, you're getting a better level of service. Um, it's it's a perception, right? No, right. I perception mean, is greater also, than truth. It's also a perception. Like they they yeah. think that you're taking away that person at the window and you come into the Right, correct. And there's not going to be anybody sitting yeah. there. People in this town, people in this town are concerned about taxes. Yes. Um, and the $400,000 savings, whether that's applied to increased staffing for the police department with yeah. people with support or for anything else, that would be a popular thing to present to the town at a town meeting, I would think. So, so, so what's 
the sort of next step to go to the selectmen so we could get this ball rolling or I think I think we need to prepare and we've already started the process to prepare some actual numbers. So one of the data points I'd like to put together and share is okay, if we're talking about taking somebody out of that office from 7 p.m. on, well, how many times have we actually had a person walk through that door after seven o'clock and need some type of assistance? I'll tell you right now, in the five years I've been here, probably less than six times. Um, it's, but you're yet you're paying a salary to cover that entire time. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the deputy uh, came from Rentham. They switched over to this model a while ago, and he said it was seamless. He, he said the responsiveness, they go in, they ring the bell. And he goes, you're right on camera. Somebody answers the phone immediately at the dispatch center, and you're already talking to somebody. Um, so I think it's about putting together some data points, anticipating the pushback, um, and then you know presenting a reasonable, logical argument to it. Well, I don't want to speak for everybody here, but certainly for me, I encourage the select board to sort of you know, definitely dive into this issue and, uh, you know, pursue it. Because I think that was, that's a serious number. We have a lot of challenges with our budgets. So it's, um, if you can help, that would be great. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to... I don't want to be insensitive to the fact that those are human beings sitting yeah, over there as well, and yeah. they're good people. I will say that a lot of the regional centers, if they come with a recommendation for the chief, will offer them a job. Uh, yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So that yeah. makes sense. Only two dispatchers that we have? We have four dispatchers in total um, and a part-time, but we only have one on duty at a time. Right. So even like when we had the storm the other day, I had to pay overtime to have a second person come in just because of the call volume. Um, I, think, I think some of the challenge is education, right? Absolutely. You know, educating people what what this means and how things might change and what it means to them. And, you know, some of the things you've talked about tonight, and that will go a long ways to clearing up some misperceptions that people might have, right? You're taking something away. Even civil service, you know, we had some feedback from some members in town that said that this was going to be a detriment to veterans um, and disabled veterans. I tried not to take it offensively, having come from a military family where my father served proudly for 20 years and we traveled all across the world. I mean, I was actually a military brat. Um, and then I looked and I said, of our civil service list and 262 candidates, not a single one. We signed for us was a veteran or a disabled veteran. And all we did is work language in that we would give preference to um, that category. We recognize that it brings value. In. So, mm -hmm. um, so same, same thing, just kind of educating people. And, you know, it's not the big scary thing everybody thinks it is. I had one question. Yes, on, sorry. Um, the other line item that was growing was, and we talked a bit about it was I think the radio equipment uh, and you had a shift to a maintenance contract that seemed to drive some costs as the state did less on the 911 I think you talked about. Yes. Is that something that could also be uh, something about equipment and, and maybe saving some, some um, maintenance contract costs there? Yeah, so uh, our two big costs are the recording costs that came in. The state said, we're not gonna listen to your tapes anymore, figure it out. So we had to go buy the equipment and the maintenance contracts. I did get a grant for the equipment. We actually have done fairly well with our grants this year. Um, I got a grant to cover the equipment, but not the maintenance contract. So that was uh, 
I want to say $4,500. I know I put it in here. The other part of it is our towers for our radio system are in town. One of them is a state hospital water tower, and the other one, we call it Mount Nevo. It's not Mount Nevo at all. We don't know why this is a town thing. No. Um, but we've had catastrophic failures with them twice now. Uh, we just had another one the other day. Um, anytime we get inclement weather, microbursts or something like that, and the tower gets affected, it is a minimum $3,500 for them to find the tower just to tell us if there's a problem. Um, so when we have these back-to-back -back instances, oh God, before I leave, I have more bad news. Sorry, uh, line, I'm responsible for our line painting. Our budget oh. is, uh, is unfortunately under by 100%. We are uh, working with the company. Um, it is a lower bidder company that goes through the state, the vendor. Uh, we budgeted for 14,000 and change this year. They increased their prices by double. What line item? So it is a different budget. Yes. So I have animal control, street signs, and then traffic markings. Yeah, that's the page of animal control. So traffic markings. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so right now, my traffic markings, uh, we shifted some of the line painting over to DPW. I still needed to do the long line. So those are the double yellow lines and the white fog lines on the side. We budgeted at 37 cents um, per linear foot. They sent us a bill for, um, I'm sorry, for 0 0.037 cents per linear foot. They sent us a bill at 0 0.079. So we were well under budget and we just got their bid for next year. Their bid is 0 0.089. It's the new bid. We have 408,000 linear feet. So we are going to need to increase that line item to 32,600 roughly. Uh, from 14,983? <laughs> so 32,000. <clears throat> yep. it, it is the single most staggering increase that we've seen in any of our contracts. Yeah. Okay, and no more bad news. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. I have a question going back to the regional dispatching. Is there any communities that is kind of meeting in the middle where you're pulling the resource about the technology and then the maintenance of the technology and the reporting rather than the dispatching? I want to say no, but I don't want to give you an ignorant answer either. So if I can get back to you. Yeah, and, and I was just curious. Like, direction. Yeah, I, I think if I'm going to do a fairly educated guess, they've pulled completely. Um, the discovery aspect of it and the recording is actually incredibly time consuming. Um, crazy. Yep, so you go through and when we get a discovery request, we have to present not only the 911 calls, but what's called the turrets. So those are all the communications that take place between the officer and dispatch, but we can't send over in discovery, let's say somebody called in an unrelated matter. It's not like I can batch out, hey, the call started at seven and ended at 7.30 and just batch it and send it. We actually have to go through and listen and identify the turrets that belong in discovery. Yeah, but it's a lot of um, Yeah, so, <laughs> to push that 
that uh, clerical side of it yeah. to another company or another organization is huge. Yeah. They said there are so many man hours that are associated with having this beyond that phone call. Yeah. But I can get you definite answer. Yeah, okay. Just very... Any other questions for that? Chief? Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm sorry, I was so long-winded and took some of your time. I felt like if I was coming in with this huge number, I needed to give you something. Have a good night. I hope it goes quickly. Okay. So we will have to promote next. What do you think we should do? Facilities. Okay, Amy. Yeah. Okay. So while you're promoting Amy, if you want to say anything, Pete, feel free to. So, yeah, I met with Amy, who is uh, very knowledgeable, and we had a great discussion. Um, I learned about, I didn't, she has there are a total of three employees in facilities. I didn't realize until I spoke to her that 80% of Amy Collard's budget is paid by the school department. And so only 20% is out of the line item that we see here for Sally. She has two employees. They are paid out of this. Um, this, this should, uh, I, I think and hope will be a short presentation by Amy because she's done a great job of keeping everything uh, very flat. She's instituting cost savings uh, in various areas and has kept uh, the budget down. So um, the, the only thing I would add is this gets back to the question Jill asked earlier, which is that you'll see that the salary line looks essentially flat. That's because there's going to be the increase that will be given to employees in this is in the human resources budget, and um, uh, that will be taken care of down the road. So Amy, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Can you hear me okay? Yes, thanks for being sure. patient and waiting. Sure thing. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. yeah, we don't feel like you have to talk for 10 minutes, but you know, okay. you're welcome if you want to, but because I think your budget is fairly straightforward, except for one item, right? Uh, yes, yeah. Now I should be short and sweet, so <laughs> um I'm pretty much level funded this year. Um I didn't have any contract renewals to um needed for this year. So that would that would be really the change on my um on my operating budget would be that building maintenance contracts. Um that's trash recycling, cleaning um contracts, um preventive maintenance of boilers. Um so I didn't have any um any renewals. So that would really be the only thing that's driving my um my budget up. Um, my budget also um, comprises of building maintenance and repairs. That's sort of everyday repairs needed for the buildings. Um, most of the utilities for the buildings, um, electric, heat, uh, water, and sewer. Um, I have miscellaneous, miscellaneous operating expense, expenses that are professional development, office supplies, cell phone costs. 
um, and obviously salaries for the three employees. So that's the only increase I'm anticipating is um, I do have a longevity for one employee and COLA for the other two. So um, as um, as Pete had said, yes, um, the town only pays, town side only pays 20% of my salary and the school is 80%. Um, I do have an operating budget on the school side as well, uh, but that's, um, that will be um, presented by um, Michael LaFrancesca with the, uh, um, with the school department. Um, I also have the Municipal Building Stabilization Fund. Um, that's a million dollars funded each year uh, for capital improvement projects. Um, those are reviewed and approved by the Capital um, Budget Committee each year. Um, one other um, funding source that I have is a um, the DOER, that's the Department of Energy Resources. Um, each year they're, um, they have a green communities grant that we apply for. Um, there are green initiative projects that um, they, um, they fund up to $200,000 a year. Um, so for example, this year we had four uh, projects awarded that equal um, $200,000. Um, a couple of the projects are they're adding insulation to the town hall attic and we're replacing three rooftop units at the um, public library. Um, so as long as the projects are completed and build 100%, um, uh, we're, um, we're eligible to submit um, an application each year. So we will continue to apply each year. Um, I do work with the um, MEC, the um, Medfield Energy Committee, to um, they, they look at my capital projects and um, see what, what projects might be able to be um, covered by this, this grant. Um, so yeah, the only um, future operating budget changes I see, again, are if, um, if I am um, putting out to bid some of the uh, preventive maintenance um, contracts. Um, those are typically a three-year um, contract. Um, we do have a, 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 the ability to extend it up to five years. Um, I did that with, say, the cleaning um, contract, um, which was supposed to be put out to bid um, COVID year. So I thought it was um, in their best interest to keep our um, keep our contract where it was because the, the, the cost would have been absurd. So um, we were able to extend that contract for two years. So that went out to bid last year, as well as the um, trash and the recycling. So, um, yeah, and that's... Um, that's sort of all my, I was going to say today, but if anyone has any questions um, about, you know, the particulars of my um, budget, please ask. Yeah, anyway, on the, the 20,000 reduction in, uh, was that the town garage electricity? Yes, yeah, so that was, um, so we had um, solar panels in, installed last year. So that's an anticipate, I didn't realize it was 20, I thought it was 10, but <laughs> so we're anticipating a savings in the electrical because of the um, solar panels in installed. So that was, uh, that was great. Else is flat. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All yeah. Well, we're all down but the rest of the budgets and the schools. Yeah. yeah. Yes. No. So this is pretty tight. Yeah. It's pretty tight every year. Yeah. Um, one thing, so one part of it is, um, so I do have um, a maintenance repair for the buildings. Um, which I, I typically, you know, that there's, there's a little bit of money for each building that I, um, that's under my umbrella. Um, with that um, municipal building stabilization fund, 
Um, we do um, have $175,000 for emergency repairs. Um, that's extremely helpful, especially if I have something major um, going on at one of the buildings. I do have the opportunity to present to the Board of Selectmen for approval for um, emergency repairs for, say, mm -hmm. if a boiler goes down or a rooftop unit goes down where um, they would completely destroy my budget. But I have that ability to request some emergency funding. So um, we've established that the last few years, which has been very helpful. Any, any other comments or questions for Amy? Looks great. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good <laughs> so uh, Georgia and I met and she was very generous with her time, went over not only the um, treasurer and collector duties, but also went through the trust funds and how those are managed and things like that. So as I said, she's very generous with her time and helped me to understand how this works and what goes on. So um, Georgia, I'll turn it over to you. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for having me. I'm going to keep it short and simple because my bedtime is quickly approaching. <laughs> um, I will start. I will start with the treasurer collector's budget. Um, no major changes in the treasurer collector's budget. Uh, Fifty dollar increase for longevity in the salary line. My office has two full time staff and a part time payroll person. Um, the operating expense side of the budget is um, level funded, except for the one line item, which is the contract services for ADP payroll. We outsource our payroll. Um, keep in mind that that line is both town and school expense payroll. 70% is school and 30% of it is town. The large increase is mainly attributed to the fact that we are... Um, we are having to do a lot of custom reporting for a lot of the vendors that we deal with um, so that we can import files over to them. And that is the reason why we have an 18% increase this year. Um, other than that, there is no other increase in the treasurer collector's budget for, for this fiscal year 25 upcoming budget. I don't see any major increases within the next three years in this budget. Great. Very helpful. Thank you. Um, one uh, debit. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, well, I know one of the um, one of the additional handouts we provided to the committee was the the it's a new request this year to to sort of uh, do the spreadsheet that has all uh, the uh, invest investment accounts on. Uh, mm -hmm. um, um, they're not in, they're not really investment accounts. They're trust funds that are invested. So these trust funds um, are under the custody of the treasurer. A trust fund um, is established with a sum of money um, that is set aside and invested for a specific use um, for the future. Um, we currently have about 25 or 30 trust funds um, that I have inherited the last few years. We've um, also increased the number of trust funds. The um, stabilization ones um, are, are mainly popular. 
Um, they, they are a terrific tool for, for many of the municipalities, um, especially in trying times. So these trust funds are under the custody of the treasurer. Each trust fund is unique. Um, most of the trust funds have a trust fund document. Um, they um, set out the guidelines, whether the balance can be spent or only the interest can be spent. Um, the trust funds are not um, invested um, with general fund revenues. They are invested separately because the interest is allocated among all the trust funds. They are invested with Bartholomew and Company, which is a, uh, an investment firm that 85% of all municipalities in the state of Massachusetts utilize. Keep in mind that the trust funds are invested um, according to Mass General Laws, Chapter 44 and 55, and they adhere to the Mass Legal List of Investments. Um, if you have any specific questions on the trust funds, I'd be happy to answer them. Um, if you want to email me with specific questions, I'd be happy to respond back. Yeah, I found this to be very helpful. It's an uh, excellent uh, document that you uh, you put together. I know you work with Frank. Frank this. put this together, yes. And it's uh, you know, it has uh, a lot of information on it for uh, who the appropriating authority and. What's the, if there's a restriction on a, the trust fund? What type of restriction it is for the gifts? So, I think it's very helpful. Um, you know, does anybody have questions on any 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 of these funds? I can also update it for you. I am finishing up my December reporting, so I can update that for you for the um, the quarter end for December as well. Uh, the big money, all the big money is in the first, you know. Exactly, yes. Four or five, which are the stabilization mm -hmm. and the pension. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is the cemetery? That's that's a big, big item. Yes. Uh, and then um, the library. You know. mm -hmm. oh, and I think, I guess the meta, meta municipal insurance is all trust fund commissioners. Well, that's, that's a pretty big one, too. But you can see there's a lot of small ones. Yeah, so how was the income that's generated in these funds reflected? So the, income is the, the income is generated um, with um, their investments that are um, per Mass General Laws, Chapter 44. Uh, most of them are U.S. Treasury bonds. Um, I do have a legal investment list. Um, I will share, um, Deb, I did open that email this evening. I will send over that um, portfolio listing to you tomorrow. Um, there are various investments. The income is allocated to all of the investments based on the ending balance of the end of the quarter. So that is how it's allocated. So obviously those with the largest balance get the largest amount of income. Yes, they're prorated. Yeah. None of the income. It's prorated. It's prorated. Outside of operations. The, the income that, that we budget, the operating budget, is for the, the general, you know, the, the general accounts that the town uses for tax payments and things like that. Right. So, so, for example, um, uh, the cemetery budget, each year in the cemetery budget, we usually take the income from the Cemetery Perpetual Care Trust Fund, and we take that income to reduce the operating expenses of the cemetery budget. So that is where the income comes from. It comes from the Cemetery Perpetual Trust Fund to reduce the operating budget of the cemetery. So theoretically, you can take a look at some of the other trust funds and you could probably do the same. 
as long as it's in the guidelines of the trust fund document. So for example, like one of the library, like the Catherine Bell Library Trust Fund, um, that was um, bequested to the town of Medfield by, um, by, by a resident in town who has passed away to benefit the library or a portion of the library that benefits children. Um, so again, um, you could take the interest from that trust fund and, and you know, reduce the operating cost of, of a portion of, of an expense in, in the children's library, for example. Okay. If the trustees vote for it, or if it's Correct. in the, yeah, or if it's allowed yes. the document. This specific trust fund, the library ones are under the authority of the trustees, correct? The library trustees, yes. Right. Is there a point at which these become de minimis and you would seek to distribute them and not have to deal with the accounting headache of them? Most, most likely, but I would need to find out. I would have to go to the trust fund documents. Um, for example, I'm working on one now, the Maud Mosh Washburn one, which is a very small one. Um, one of the descendants um, is is nearing the end of her life, and she wants to see the um, she wants to see the the balance. She wants to close out the account and and be able to um, gift gift it to a a certain department in town so at some point yes the smaller ones you know should should diminish you know at some point um but at the same time when you start reducing the amount that's in there you're also going to be earning less interest too so these are also earning interest while they're in there so the ones that are for pumping station operations for subdivision does that go into so those are paying the electric bills for the pumping station. So that money was, th those monies were set aside by the builders for those gotcha. areas in town. So those that, that money was set up as a trust fund. So the interest that's earned on those accounts is used to pay, say, the electricity on the pumping station. Okay. So some of, you know, some of these um, could impact the operating budget mm -hmm. to the extent that they're taking advantage yeah. of picking up costs or allocating something yeah. they didn't require. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. so the pension mm -hmm. one is a perfect example of that. That's, that's a big one. The pension one, the pension one is 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 a big one. Um, I don't know if many of you remember um, Elmer Portman, who was on the warrant committee. That started off with a thousand dollar trust fund. Um. And and look where it is now. It's at it's at three three point four million dollars at the end of September. And there's quite a few library ones, which I'm assuming the live board of library trustees is overseeing all of those. Yes, they are the ones that that have the authority to spend from that. That is correct. So that is the other portion, at, you know, and that's that's my treasurer side is the trust funds. And then we have, you know, the general fund investments, which, you know, are mostly, um, you know, your regular money market accounts. Um, you know, the town of Medfield is a municipality, but it is a business. It, it has its revenues and and it has its expenditures, um, you know, safety, liquidity and yield, you know, are most important to me as treasurer. Uh, whether it's trust fund money or whether it's general fund money. Um, if you have any other questions, I'm happy to answer them. I just have one quick question. What sure. is the antiquities fund? 
uh, did we we left it blank because <laughs> because I need to find the trust fund document. Okay. Unfortunately, a lot of these I inherited um, 33 years ago, um, oh. and and a lot of these trust fund documents um, are not available. So I'm going to have to search that one out. That that's why we left that one blank. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Any other questions for yeah, Thank you very much. Thank you. If you have any other questions, just email me. I'm happy to answer. All right. Thank you. Have a great evening. Stay safe. All right. Moving along, Deb. Which one should we do next? We have two left, right? Um building inspections. How about that? Oh, um, sorry. Uh, Dana actually had something personal come up last minute. I meant to. Oh, okay. Start with that. Oh. So he's on any. So we'll move him to next week. Yes. Okay. So Maria. Maria. We have Maria and Yvonne. And who? Oh, Yvonne. I forgot about Yvonne. That's right. Who do you want to do first? Yvonne. Yvonne? He's already given us. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do Yvonne. Yvonne. Can you promote her? Okay. Another hard one. She's <laughs> already done the hard work for us. Good evening, Yvonne. Hi, good evening. Thank you for having me. Thank you for hanging in there. Yes. No problem. I have a very easy budget, and so I'll be very fast. Okay. Um, okay, so... Uh, the only thing I changed this year were two things. Um, I changed my dues budget by $65 to reflect what the dues will be for next year. And I I changed my professional development budget by $1,000. Um, my assistant received her certification last year. And in order to maintain our certifications, we have to have so much education and professional development um, and so many credits every two years. And so I needed more money in the budget to pay for her school um, as well as my own. So those are the only two changes I have. Um, most of my budget is made up of um, consultant fees. The $5,000 consulting and legal fees pays for our maps. And then my contractor services, personal property, and the real estate appraiser for $6,800 and $8,200. Those are paid to Patriot. Um, they assist with the valuation um, process for our personal property and our commercial property. Um, so those are the biggest part of my budget. Other than that, it's postage, um, office supplies, registry fees, um, and that's about it. Um, if you want to know anything about my budget, I won't bore you. Um, you can um, check out the GFOA budget. I have a full description of what we do, what we handle. Um, I have a full-time staff person, my administrative assistant, Kathy, who's been with me for um, since I've started. She's been with the town for almost 20 years. And I have a half-time person, Diane. She works 20 hours. Um, and she's been with us now for six years. Um, so, does anybody have any questions? No, I apologize. On the, the spreadsheet that I distributed, was like one of the formulas got. Yeah, so, yeah. I figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It increases there, it's just not seen. So, yeah. Sorry, I apologize. Sorry, Mike. No worries. 
Any questions? Oh, okay. Any questions, John? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. Good night. Good night. Okay. I guess Marie is last, right? Yep, I'm over there now. So, anything you want to say about Marie and no, Maria, we met. She was great. She went over all the information in detail and gave me a good sense of what goes on here. And um, she can better than I tell me, tell us what's what's happening here. Thank you. And thank you for having me um, tonight. Uh, my budget is also relatively simple. I didn't want to adjust anything and break it because it's my first year. So um, everything is remaining the same. We've made some small changes in how we approach things, but the, the dollar amount remains the same. So my department is made up of uh, myself and an administrative assistant who is part-time. She works 18 hours a week. And there was, um, I know, Deb, we talked about the salary line. And the, I, I was trying to figure out how... Um, how it's allocated part of the fiscal year 24 salary still had uh, Sarah, my predecessor salary and the previous administrative assistant. So there's been some turnover. So what we're requesting for salary for fiscal year 25, it's 126,000 with $22. Um, that includes my administrative assistant going up uh, to step three in fiscal year 25. Uh, and that is, of course, not an increase. That is just um, what was uh, estimated by the town accountant according to contract. Then for my operational budget, uh, I have pretty standard lines. I have an advertising budget of $1,500. Sometimes um, applicants don't always pay for advertising in the newspaper. We've been trying to enforce it with the billing commissioner to try to save the town money if you do not pay for your zoning or planning advertisement fee, then we will not issue a building permit. So there is a strong incentive there to pay and pay in time. So that has been working out great for us, but we still need a budget of our own if we ever do um, any town-owned land that needs advertising in the newspaper. So it's important for us to have a budget for that, any uh, in like self-initiated projects as well. We have, we created a new utility telephone budget because apparently our phone bill was being paid by our mailing budget line for some reason. So we, that's, that's a new budget line. That's why there's nothing spent out of fiscal year 24. And I just use the numbers that we've been, you know, exactly what we pay in a year from our Verizon bills. That's what you see there. Dues and membership. Um, we had a thousand last year. I'm keeping it at a thousand. I'm trying to attend as many conferences as I can. I think it's very important to stay in contact with the region because you never know what's out there. And it's very, as we talked today about regionalization, I like to explore other options, see what other towns are doing. So I try to be a part of as many organizations as I can. Then our training and education budget and our meetings and conferences budget was merged into one that is simply called professional development. That's why there is some differences between fiscal year 24 and 25. Again, the dollar amount has not changed. It's just trying to streamline budget lines, make them as easy to use as possible. And for professional development um, certificates, 
uh, any classes that I can find. I'm currently doing my master's degree, but if I find time for a class, I will take it. So it's always nice to have the money and keep expanding my horizons. And same goes for my administrative assistant. Uh, then we have a professional services budget of $1,500. This gets used differently as time goes on, but as of um, fiscal year 24, I've actually really been using it. We had some maps from 20 years ago that were barely legible. So I had those digitized this year for the historic district commission. So I'm trying to bring the department up to date and have everything um, as modern as possible. It's easy to use, transparent, accessible. So I'm hoping to be using professional services and keep updating things uh, as I go. We have a planning consultant budget of 6,000. This can include um, engineers, lawyers, attorneys, or anything that might be needed. This will change depending on the project. So it's good to have some flexibility. And as we know, engineers and um, attorneys are incredibly expensive. So it's nice to be able to rely on legal counsel or expert help when there is a controversial development to make sure that we are taking educated decisions. We have a printing postage stationary budget that is not changing. Office supplies remain the same at 180, and uh, we do not have any encumbrances. So that is basically what I have for operating. I do have some future uh, ideas for where I want the department to go that will kind of affect how much my department spends. But I want to stop here and ask if there's any questions so far. Questions? I don't see any, Maria. But Maria, one thing, it uh, had the opportunity to meet you at the um, at the session on uh, the MTA. Uh, so two questions, two comments really. One is, being it's your first time before the committee, maybe you give a little background on yourself and because uh, it's great to see uh, you here with us in, in, the, in the town. And then maybe a little update on where that process is. Cause I know you had the consultants from the, uh, at, at the session that the community session. So. Yeah, a little more about yourself and how we how we benefited from coming you're coming to us here. Of course. Um, so I have been with the town of Medfield now for about eight months. Before uh, joining Medfield, I worked for the town of Norton. I was their director of planning and economic development. Before that, I worked for the town of Sharon, so I'm very familiar with the region. I was with Sharon for about two years. And Sharon doesn't have a town planner. The closest position they have is a uh, um, planning and engineering specialist, which is what I was. So I got to learn a lot of engineering concepts, which have been incredibly helpful. My educational background is I have a, a undergraduate in political science and I have a minor in geographic information systems. So for me, data management is incredibly necessary, especially in land use to be taking decisions that are, like I said, informed and accurate. And I have found a lot of the department is a little bit behind on our data collection, how we use data. So I've been trying to prioritize that. I'm currently going to school for um, public administration. I'm going to Suffolk University at night. I'm starting classes again on Thursday, which will be madness. But uh, <laughs> I do not love the commute. 
but my my goal is you know to keep learning as much as I can. I hope to be town administrator one day. So I'm interested in everything and anything that I can learn about the town, about every single department. So this meeting has been amazing. I've learned so much. So um, yeah, I guess that's a little bit about myself. So anything I can learn, I will learn and everything is helpful. And I think um, my department deals with a lot of very um, interesting stuff. I oversee the planning board, the zoning board, the Conservation Commission, and the Affordable Housing Trust. So that's a wide variety of topics and things that come up. So to segue into your question on the MBTA zoning, <clears throat> uh, for those of you that will, that are not fully aware, the state has mandated MBTA communities, which is 177 towns around the Boston metro area, they either have an MBTA station or are adjacent to one. To have a district of reasonable size, of, that means at least 50 acres in which you allow multifamily zoning by right. That That is, uh, it's not a building mandate. You just need to theoretically allow in your bylaws for multifamily zoning. So we're um, working with a consultant. It's Ines Associates and RKG Associates. Sarah, my predecessor, had gotten a grant, so she started looking at sites for those multifamily districts. And then in this year, I got another grant for seventy thousand for to continue the work. The stages that we're currently in is we held a public workshop in which we invited residents and planning board, select board, and affordable housing trust members to um, give us their opinion on where they think the density should be. We had a Lego exercise in which we had a map of town and asked people, where would you like to see this density and how dense would you like to see the town hypothetically built? So the next steps we go from here is now that we have some public feedback, the planning board is going to be discussing this with our consultant on January 22nd is our next planning board meeting. I invite you all to attend if you're interested in hearing where we're at with it. Then in February, we're going to start having joint planning board and select board meetings, because even though it will be a planning board article to do a zoning bylaw change, we do need the select board's approval and support, and same as the warrant committee. So I'm hoping to keep updating you as we go before we do a full presentation to you in April with um, the actual bylaw that has been agreed upon by the planning board and the select board. So it'll I, be a, I was going to say, I, I spoke with Maria um, about this briefly, and, you know, it's such a complicated topic that I, I, I think it's a good idea if she comes before us as sort of a, we, she does a little bit of what we've done at that workshop mm -hmm. just for us before yeah. we get the final solution exactly. in April. So in sometime in March, she's agreed to come back to visit us. And uh, give us a little educational on this because it's a big article. You might have read the Boston Globe over the weekend. Milton, yeah, Milton, is, you know, is is yeah, had some tough times with it. Um, and so it's very controversial in some communities. So, so anyway, um, we'll have more to to dive into the MBTA zoning later mm -hmm. on. you you mentioned uh, briefly that. Um, there were some things uh, in the future that you wanted to talk about? Correct. So 
my main objectives for this year is something that Sarah thankfully had gotten a grant before she left. She had um, $80,000 from the Community Compact IT grant for LaserFish, which is a document management system. And also there's money set aside for scanning. So we have documents dating back from 1950s from the old subdivisions that need to be digitized. Not everything I have is scanned and some things require me to go to storage and it can be a little time consuming. And then it's very difficult to scan any large size plans and there's not really a organized management like data management system. So the grant that Sarah had gotten, which we're implementing now is, I actually have a meeting with the scanning company tomorrow. We're going to be shipping out, um, it was, hundreds of boxes, I think it was at least 20 years worth of data is going to be the first shipment. So um, we hope to digitize everything pre-2000. That's our first goal. So most of the things of the past 20 years I have digitized, but we're going to be sending documents to a scanning company. They're going to scan them, index them, and then put them on a database management system so that when I need to find a file, I pull up an address. And the end goal is to start with my department, then bring in conservation, and then bring in building and fire and make it a comprehensive database for everyone that residents will be able to access. So when I have a resident that's like, I'm new to town, I bought this house, what can you tell me about it? Sometimes it's very difficult for me to see if there was ever a zoning decision passed on it, if it was you know over 20 years old. My goal is to be able to type in an address and have all the PDFs pulled up that I can just share with the resident or have the residents uh, do it themselves so they understand the properties and they can find their own um, data without depending on us. So this is uh, LaserFish is the name of the management system. It's incredibly secure. It encrypts data. Um, I can edit to if I need, if I have documents that only I can see that have sensitive information. I can redact them and the only public copy is going to be the redacted one, but I can see the original document. So there's a lot of really wonderful provisions. And another great thing is it has text recognition. So if I need to find something related to water for a certain subdivision, that could take me a couple hours for subdivision files are huge. Sometimes they can be multiple boxes, but if I have a, a software that can scan for those words, then I can simply it can recognize a text for me and help me find it. So I expect it's going to save a lot of staff time and it's going to create a better experience for customers um, and you know, prospective applicants, developers. And I think it's going to increase transparency if everyone can see what files we have. Also be amazing for public records requests because we can just show them how to use it and they can find the documents. So we are the grant is going to cover $60,000 worth of scanning. We don't know quite how much that's going to cover simply because we estimated the number of documents depending on the size of the box. It's not a very exact science estimating what's how much is in each box, but basically they're going to be using up as much as they can. And then I'm going to keep requesting money for more scanning through this grant as the years go on. Um, it's also going to cover year one of our operational, of our setup uh, fees for laser fish, but subsequent years are going to come out of probably the IT budget. And I know that I have discussed this with the Warren Committee along with their IT director and Brittany Franklin. 
we're looking at a five to $6,000 increase a year for the software. So it's actually very cheap for the amount of um, service improvement that's going to be and how much time it's going to save staff. So that is, uh, like I said, it's mostly my department right now and I hope to bring in conservation and building as the years go on, but I wanna put it in your radar that if IT budget goes up, that's that's my fault. <laughs> I think it's the right good cost. Well, that's great. Thank you for bringing us into the 21st century. I'm sorry, I just need you to I'm try to work with someone to organize. Um, we are looking too for um for coming years, and this is going to come up next year. I also want to put it on your radar. Every time I work for before has had a permitting system. Uh, we used to have OpenGov and Sharon, and Norton was transitioning into it as I was uh, leaving. But it's a system that can allow you to do your applications online. And when you apply, it's like, I want to build a single family home. It'll be hopefully fully integrated with a mapping system so it can tell you what zoning district you're on and what other permits you trigger based on your location. If you're close to wetlands, then you might be flat that you need to talk to the conservation agent because you will need um, notice of intent or an RDA. If you are um, in an aquifer district, then you will need a board of health review. And we can set it up fully customized so each department head can have their own forms because I know what my department needs and board of health knows what they need. So we have full control over this and then we can set up a workflow so that my permits have to come first before a building permit can be issued, but my permits can be done at the same time as Board of Health. Um, so we're gonna set up a timeline so applicants know exactly what they need and when they need it, because you wouldn't believe the amount of ping-ponging we have to do. Um, <laughs> someone comes up to me, it's like, I, you know, what about this address? Like they just came to me. I was like, oh, I saw them three months ago. I hadn't realized that they might not have continued at the rate that I thought they were going to continue their project. So I think this is going to help keep us all on the same page. We're looking at DPW, fire, um, water, sewer, planning, zoning, conservation to go on it. Um, this will be great because a lot of times applicants don't fill out applications correctly and they're handwritten. And I can't tell you the shock when someone handed me a handwritten application for the first time. Like, what is this? And they're like, this is a special project. No, it's not. You can't. Everyone has had very nice handwriting so far, but I am terrified for the day. <laughs> so yes, I'm just trying to create more, more transparency um, and more sense of flow and direction because a lot of times it takes us calling each other and keeping track of where projects are. And I think it would be so much easier if we could all log in, see all the documents that were submitted, have access to everything and be able to communicate more efficiently. Again, I think this will save a lot of staff time. And we're hoping to cut out a permitting system that comes from the building department. They have a permitting system that they're not happy with. So we will be cutting that out and bringing in OpenGov hopefully next year. We do have a quote. Um, the first year, I believe, was around 80000 just because there is some setup fees there has to be training so we can then set up the forms that we want. And then from then ongoing years, the cost is going to be 60000 and that's spread out over six different departments, but will most likely be reflected on the IT budget just to centralize. So 
I think per department, maybe like a $10,000 increase if you want to look at it that way. But this OpenGov fully integrates with LaserFish. So after a permit is closed, we can give it like two years and then it'll automatically save itself to my database system. So all the old permits will actually be seamlessly integrated so we can keep up the database without having, you know, when things are automated, things don't get dropped. So we're trying to create systems of accountability. And we're hoping that if we look at our mapping system, it'll also be integrated with that and with the assessor software. So we're trying to bring everything up to date. It's a large process. I know it's a large investment, but I think it'll do wonders for how developers and even residents experience the town. So that is that is to come, but those are future projects and future expenses that will come up. Okay, operational cost will be against that. Okay. So we, Frank says we have this in the uh, capital budget. Yeah. So, yeah, and then the, the ongoing operation cost won't be an FY, FY 26, I guess. So, 26, well, yes. Thank you very much. That was a very thorough, uh, yes, yeah, you know, thank you. Uh, exciting presentation. We appreciate that. Welcome. Welcome. Well, thank, thank you. you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Doing. Thank you. I'll see you guys again in March. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Yes. To. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, so we are through all the departments now um, for tonight. Uh, and the next agenda item is a discussion of the current status of the school and town budget guidance and where where we stand on that. Frank, did you hand that out to everybody? The you know that to me. this. There's a few more up here, so I can get about. You, Peter, why don't you just roll through the yeah? It's that's right. And Frank, you might want to. I'll just give a brief. So, so uh, Frank will, will take us through very quickly. I think just the changes, but just so uh, people understand where where things are at. If you remember, we gave some guidance to the schools and to the town to be around 4.1 for the schools and 4.2 increase over um, prior year's 24th budget. And um, the um, the town has, you know, come very close to that. There's some very minor changes that they're looking to make, uh, but they've they've. You'll see everything that they've given us will roll up to a number that's close to what that guidance is. That could be exact, but it's going to be very close. There's some tweaks that they want to make. And the school, um, I think, is probably a, is a little bit behind the town in terms of where they're at. Um, they are, uh, they, they, they sort of did their first pass, uh, sort of their budget 101, and they're 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 exceeding the guidance that that we came up with. They're at like a six percent, six percent. Yeah. So it's a, it's a fairly large uh, gap uh, on the school side, and it's driven by um, a big component of it is special ed related. So they're working through how to solve that problem of special ed. Uh, it's a problem that a lot of school districts are having this year uh, across the Commonwealth. And um, 
we'll have more conversations about what they're thinking and doing in that regard. But they're hoping to get to, I think at the last school committee meeting, Jeff said that they're hoping to get closer to the budget guidance that we provided. They're, they're just a little slower getting through their process than the town has. So uh, it, it'll take, might take some time for them to get there. Um, but anyway, I'll let you, I'll turn it over to you. If you anything you want to talk about in here? Uh, I guess just briefly um, to cover the spreadsheet, we um, earlier in the budget process had covered um, sort of, well, I guess all the revenues and sort of the, the logic behind predicting some of those revenue uh, figures for fiscal 25. And then a lot of the expenditures uh, towards the bottom of the first page and the first half of the second page, um, excuse me, the first half of the second page, um, those are costs that are, um, I think we've turned them as sort of like shared costs between both town and, and school departments. So you'll see things in there like employee benefits, um, insurance for town buildings, uh, uh, debt service. Um, and so I think the, the, the thought process this year was, let's take all of the revenue, we'll take all the shared expenditures, and then we'll split up the revenues um, after that. Um, and so this is what we uh, gave to the select board tonight, this uh, initial budget worksheet. As Steve mentioned, uh, the town departments, um, if you look towards the sort of bottom half of the, the third page, um, the total um, town budget increase is $562,069. As of right now, there are two variables, like Steve said, um, that we're still trying to, to iron out. Um, in addition to some of the uh, increases that the department heads who attended tonight's meeting mentioned, um, it's been, we sort of talked a little bit about a COLA increase that towards the end of the budget process that uh, would be distributed to all the departments uh, and their line items. But right now, uh, human resources line item will see a $152,000 increase uh, just south of $153,000. Right now, we're budgeting for a 3% COLA, uh, cost of living adjustment for all non-union personnel. Um, and then um, on the parks and recreation line item, you will see a $46,520 increase. Most of that uh, for a new assistant director that is funded to start on January 1st, 2025, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, and um, that's a half, half a year. So that'll be half a year. We'll have to fully fund that in 26. Um, but those, and again, in addition to some of the, the bigger increases that were discussed by the police chief, DPW director, and fire chief this evening, um, those those two additional costs um, would be the, the primary drivers. Um, some of the additional variables, as um, Steve mentioned, uh, the school public hearing for their budget will be on January 25th. Um, uh, we have a uh, meeting of the public or excuse me, um, what does PEC stand for? I can't remember. Public employee. Our health and care negotiations uh, are ongoing. Um, so there could be uh, additional savings we hope uh, achieve there after those negotiations are complete. So hopefully after tomorrow we'd have additional information on those. Um, on the town side, we also have an ongoing classic compensation study 
uh, that we're hoping to have the final results of, uh, in the coming weeks. Um, and then also you'll notice um, some of the lines are blank. So on the first page, you'll see free cash to capital stabilization, uh, free cash to general stabilization, free cash to monetary articles. Um, those are blank right now, just because I don't think there's been any finalized proposals uh, for those line items just quite yet. So we didn't want to um, over-promise or under-promise or put words in anyone's mouth. So those are uh, blank for now. Um, we could be looking at uh, some additional costs for uh, grounds maintenance, excuse me, grounds maintenance for some of the town buildings. Um, and those should be all the, uh, the smaller things that I think we should be able to, to iron out. Um, yeah. Any questions, Frank? Uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm, obviously the the big gap here is the schools that we've been continuing to work on. And then, so usually, I mean, how we did it last year was um, if we have any updates to the, to the spreadsheet, we would just bring the updates to yeah. the, to the meetings and yeah. They maybe highlight them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can talk about the yeah. So, yeah. so I'm not sure if this is a question to Frank or a question for you. I thought we're, we were discussing, you made a presentation about it, using free cash to fund a trust fund or whatever we want to call it for a sort of a down payment on a new elementary school yes so are we going to have enough money to put money into capital stabilization general stabilization and then additional free cash to put some money into that or will we have to reduce some of these or is that just unknowable at well time? i guess there's a new wrinkle to what we talked about remember we had a plan on how we were going to use that free cash Right. right. Then I think at that point we said maybe a million dollars into this tax mitigation stabilization fund. Right. So there's 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 some things that are that the school is working through on special education that might require uh, the creation of another reserve fund. Okay. Uh, where we it will be funded with some with some free cash. Okay. So some of the allocations of free cash would change, but nothing's going to go away. Okay. You know, but we may we may tweak where how much money you know we put in each bucket. And, and, and just to, so those but those funds don't come out of the operations. Those are out of the the current free cash that was generated at the end of last year. So right. So yeah, it's not part of it's the, not part the, of the, the operating budget. Operating right. Yeah. All right. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Anything else for Frank? All right. Thank you, Frank. Thank oh, you, you might want to stay up there because we've got the Warren article list. Okay. Did you give this to everybody? Um, it was... Oh, was it email? I thought it was email, but if not... Does anybody have the Warren article list? Okay. I can pull it out and put it on screen. Okay, he'll put it up on the screen. You have to do it. You can just walk through it. Sorry about that. So, that everybody know the Warren closed last week? 
And so what he's going to go through and is a listing of what the articles are. And uh, just briefly walk through. We're, we're not going to go into a deep discussion on any of these items other than to just tell you what's on the water. We'll have plenty of time to talk about it later. Just yeah. I thought it was, but uh there. there it is. Yeah, okay. Um, um so some of these these ones that are uh Towards the top are pretty run of the mill standard operating business. Um, do you I mean? Do you want me to talk? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean the the HR articles are, are very standard every year. Um, the financial articles. Uh, there's an article. So, Ethan, you want to talk about this? Sure. So last year at town meeting, we. Um, created a opioid stabilization fund to uh, receive funds that resulted from um, the legal settlement between the Commonwealth and opioid manufacturers, pharmaceutical companies, uh, folks like that, um, because that was the mechanism that the state suggested we set up, um, because these funds are to be used for specific purposes, not for anything that we want to spend them on. Uh, the state has since changed uh, the law to allow us to um, we still have to spend them in specific ways, but we don't need to put them in a stabilization fund, which can be a little bit cumbersome. We have to wait for town meeting to um, spend out of a stabilization fund. Uh, so it, 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 it just... But, but this was my article last year. It was. Don't take it personally. I think someone's dissing me again. We set it up and then we take the break and it's down. Um, so much for you. So this, <laughs> so the, this one's uh, sort of technical in nature. Um, it's we'll only have... fair that it should be your article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Check history. Never mind. Um, for the EV chart, we have EV chargers um, at the town hall now, um, and so uh, in order to pay the electric bill associated with those bills or with, with those charging stations. Um, we're going to set up a revolving fund, or we'd like to set up a revolving fund that um, would allow the revenue collected to go right into the revolving fund so that we can just pay for those bills right out of the revolving fund as opposed to paying for them out of the operating budget. We're going to start putting those EV charges in like the top parking lot. We have so we, yeah, yeah. we have two uh, at the town on the parking lot, not right behind the townhouse, but the one that's sort of across the street on Jane's Ave. You know, um, the Avenue restaurant? Yeah. Right oh, yeah. It. 
TV charges. And that was a town owned, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we, we have the Green Communities uh, grant that Amy mentioned. Um, we actually got a grant to put those to put oh. those in. Okay, they got they have to track all those. Yeah. yeah, we actually have there's two there's four or two at the schools. There's two, two different schools that have at least one. Um, so they have them at school properties, um, and we have one at the uh, well, we have two at the um, the townhouse. They're not high speed chargers, I think. They're trickle chargers. You know, I'm not actually sure to be quite honest. I don't believe that they, they are high speed. It'd probably be a long line. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that they're high speed now. Um, and I don't know if the ones at the Bank of America are high speed either. Those are high speed. Those are okay. That's what we did a lot of. Um, the next two, uh, creating a revolving fund uh, for the Council on Aging. Um, so they have um, a couple of different accounts that they use for programmatic spending. Um, so we're looking at creating a revolving fund for them so they can do that properly. Um, Creation of a revolving uh, revolving fund account for uh, license to carry fees. So how that works is um, Medfield collects, call it I don't know the exact figure, but call it a hundred bucks for uh, an LTC application. We then have to pay the state seventy five of those dollars about, and we keep twenty five for the administrative costs. Um, so in, in instead of sort of budgeting for things. Budgeting for those expenditures in the operating budget, it's just kind of easier to take in the money and pay it out of the same account to the state. Um, uh, the revolving fund expenditure limit authorization is what we do every year for every single revolving fund that basically sets the uh, yes. amount of money that can be spent for uh, spent out of a revolving fund. Uh, cemetery perpetual care, the local peg access, uh, those are... Um, ones we do every year for uh we take the the money that we receive from uh i think it's verizon primarily uh and transfer that to medfield tv uh cemetery perpetual care will be for accepting um lot purchases that folks have made in the past fiscal year um create a route 27 and slash dale street traffic mitigation special revenue account um, so we actually had funds that we received uh, from the developer uh, on the development of the corner of 27 and Dale, um, Dale Street. Um, and so to, to do any work related to like if, if there are new street lights that needed to be put in or sidewalk improvements, things like that, um, that money ended up closing into free cash. Um, there are some still some improvements that need to be made. So we need to, to basically take that money out of free cash and put it into this um, special revenue account. Uh, create a special education stabilization fund slash reserve account. I think Steve mentioned that one uh, a little bit ago. Same with the elementary school tax mitigation stabilization fund. Um, create uh, the school department Medfield State Hospital mitigation special revenue fund. So in the, in the agreement um, with Trinity uh, for the sale of the state hospital campus, there is a million dollar mitigation payment that uh, they'll be making to the schools. Um, if we don't set up a special account for it, that money will just go to free cash per Mass General Law. So we're setting up a special fund to receive that million dollars. We don't want to put in the 
Elementary school tax division pay resolution, or just because it's too limiting, or no? I think it has to. Uh, it has to. Yeah, it has to. It has to be held in its own. Oh no, this is a difference. It's not land proceeds, right? This is uh, right. Yeah, mitigation payments are. I think the difference is that it specifically requires that it, the school department. That is a say how it's used. Even though in my in my memo, I, I said that it will eventually go towards the school, they have to has to go through a process where they have to sign off on it because that's how it was set up in terms of in the group. Um the next one, two, three, four are all. Um, capital budget items, whether for municipal buildings or non-building non projects, um, elementary school feasibility study funding. So last year, I believe we appropriated, is it 500 or 250? I can't remember. I think we appropriated 500. Two, two, it was 250. It was already oh, that's right. The total of 500. Um, so this year we uh, could potentially do something like that again. Uh, prior year bills is what we have on there every year. Um, if a for some reason we don't get a bill for service, don't we have a feasibility study already? I'm sorry. Don't we already have a feasibility study? Oh, uh, sorry. I thought you were talking about the prior year bills. Um, yeah. yeah, we have a feasibility study for a building that is never going to get built. You have to you have to do a feasibility study for a new proposal. It, the, the architects have to design a building. Have to. Figure out how much it's going to cost and a lot of stuff. I mean, if they put the same building out for a new another boat, I guess you know we we still have to re-estimate the cost of it. Yeah. Uh, prior year bills received uh, for a prior fiscal year by the town will require approval by town meeting. So that one's one we have on there every year. Uh, the next two are all. Um, Operating budgets, both for the general fund and the enterprise funds, uh, rescind bond authorization for the Mount Nebo water tower painting project. Uh, we did one of these um, last year, sort of like a housekeeping thing. We have extra debt that we have authorized to issue. We never issued it, so we can just remove that authorization to borrow. Um, the uh, appropriation for, to the 375th anniversary trust fund, uh, I believe that would be seed money for... Um, preparing for, for that celebration. Uh, appropriation to Economic Vitality Fund. I believe this is one that the town does every once in a while um, to re replenish that fund that pays for things like um, uh, like the holiday stroll, for instance. Um, so all the traffic barriers, the lights, all that, all that type of stuff. Um, and then these two here were requests by the Conservation Commission. Um, they're not entirely sure if they're going to use one or either of these or both. Um, an appropriation for a pond survey. Uh, my understanding that's to look at all the town's ponds and see what maintenance um, or work is needed to keep them in good shape. Excuse me. Uh, and then an appropriation for conservation commission property signage. Uh, that one, um, I think, is you know pretty self-explanatory. Uh, general articles. Um, the select board had discussed potentially changing or proposing to change the town moderator's term from one year to three years. Um, yeah. Zoning enforcement fees. Happen or the sponsors blank? Uh, so that one is the select board. 
I'm sorry. Yeah, we are. The last that was uh, zoning enforcement fees. Uh, I believe town council thought that we might need some updates on that one. I may need to follow up on that on the specifics of that one. Uh, the die the dog bylaw. Um, that was a charge that the select board had for the dog control bylaw committee. Um, so there's a placeholder for there for what their um, um, their proposal might be. Um, Authorize the select board name change in town bylaws. So. Last year, we changed the town changed the name of the, the board of selectmen to the select board. That change has to be reflected in the town bylaws. So the, again, that's kind of a small housekeeping thing. Um, state uh, Mass State, excuse me, Medfield State Hospital Redevelopment Authority. Uh, that was a placeholder uh, put on um, in case there was a need uh, for the actual de redevelopment work uh, done at the the, the campus. Um, in order to help with the procurement, it might be helpful to help. It may be helpful to set up what's known as a redevelopment authority for this type of project. Um, again, not sure if that's going to go forward or not, but it was a placeholder put on uh, given that the bar was closing. Uh, MBTA Community Zoning District. Uh, Maria discussed a little bit about that one, and she'll be back in March um, to provide more detail on that. Um, the sale of property. Article is um, a citizen's petition, the only citizen petition we have for the sale of the Belf or the, um, the Medfield State Hospital Chapel um, to Belforge. Right now they're under a 99 year lease, um, but they've submitted a citizen petition to have the town sell to them. I, I by the way, I, we received that actual citizen petition in the Warren Committee email. It's they they did uh, they did take the time to fill out our questionnaire. When we remember the questionnaire we developed last year, and so I will be sending that out this week to everybody. Uh, but we won't spend any time talking about it until March, and we'll have Jean come in. That she can you know educate us on what that particular article is all about. And then uh, free cash is a placeholder for it's always the last article in case there's anything that comes up that anything else we have to use free cash for well, that's that's it only one citizen petition all right update on the school building committee peter you give us a little update then um, yeah, I've only attended one meeting. That was on January 3, I think. They have a meeting the first Wednesday of each month. We're actually having a Zoom meeting tomorrow uh, to vote on a proposal to send out a request for proposal to do a demographic study to see what they project the likely census would be a future Dale Street school and uh, get a sense of how many students, so get a sense of how big a school you're going to need. They did one of these for the last one. There was some back and forth at the meeting about whether we needed to do a new one, but the consensus of the school building committee was we should get up-to-date data to submit. Uh, the reason, or not the only reason, but the principal reason for that is the, the big debate is, I think, I think 
they, the committee was quite surprised um, that we did not make it under the Mass School Building Authority's latest funding um, thing. They had had a meeting, I guess, last, I don't know, a couple months ago before December, let's call it September or October, where the vibes were described as very positive. Someone at the one meeting I've attended said that Dale Street is considered, you know, among the top five or 10 of the worst sort of physical buildings in the state. Uh, and so it seemed like a good candidate to be considered for funding. Um, we, in the committee, inferred that the MSBA was upset at us for voting down the last proposal. And so they wanted to give other towns a shot. And I think the big issue that the MS, that the school building committee will face in coming months is, so we reach a certain fork in the road. Do we prepare another application to seek to go before the MSBA and wait till December to see if we could get funding through that mechanism, or do we decide to go 100% through town funding of the project? Uh, it's not an easy decision at all. I don't think there's a consensus yet on the committee on which way to go. Um, you know, we stood to get potentially $19 million or so from the state. Uh, that's a lot of money to not pick up. Actually, 23. 23? Okay. Um, so, um, so I'm spending a lot of time talking and not saying very much. Uh, there are some big decisions coming down the pike, but nothing much to report right now. Ed's looking at me with an incredible I'd be incredulous to think they would we think it would be a better idea to do it ourselves and just forego $23 million. It just blows my mind in a town that was so worried about costs and the tax bill. Yeah. We would say, oh, it's okay. We'll worry about, you know, 500, 200,000 here, but we're willing to give up $23 million. It just didn't, didn't we already make that decision, though? I mean, that, that was made. Oh, it didn't, wasn't that made last year? What decision? The decision to forego. Yeah. No, no, no. we had an application oh. in place to try to get. Yeah, they they applied last year. Yeah. And yeah. They, they didn't get right. in. Right. So the question is you have, you have to make a decision every year whether you want to reapply. No, there was a reapply though. I thought the, the first one the first one failed at town meeting. Right. So right. then after that failed vote, they right. reapplied. Right. And that they just heard in December right. that understand. they didn't get in. Yeah. So now the question is, what do they want to reapply for a second? You know, you keep, you keep reapplying until yeah, it's not a foregone conclusion that they would reapply. No, until I bet to no, but that's not. Why wouldn't you? Because the alternative okay. is to do well, it by yourself. Right? Well, the, the they trouble have, is, yeah, they haven't made a decision to, they, there, there has not been a decision made to not apply. Right, exactly. But I mean, the trouble is, to your point, Ed, I, I agree with you. How could you possibly not, not want $23 million? So you wait till December, you do the application, you apply. Every year there's, I don't know how many schools, school districts apply and how many get funded, but it's sure ain't 100%. The point being, there's no guarantee 
that this coming December 2024, we right. get funded. Right. So then you've lost another whole year of not much forward, not a ton of forward movement, and you're no closer to a decision on Dale Street. That said, your point about how can we possibly forego the possibility of getting $23 million is, is a big one. So I don't know how the school building committee is going to come out on that. I think eventually that we would be approved. I think that I mean, you know, maybe we didn't get approved this year because it was retribution or some other other reason why we didn't. But if we if we were on that top five list as the worst schools in the best state last year, we didn't drop off that list and, and move down to the 30th. We're still up there as what well. in fact maybe we'll move from number five to number one. But eventually, I think my guess would be that we'd we'd get approved in a in a in the next year or two. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, keep in mind, it was clearly communicated at the time of the vote that it would be a three-year wait before you got back into the MSPB, and this would be the third year. That, in other words, it was clearly understood at the time of the last vote that it would take three years to get back in. That was communicated, so. And there are people in town who do not support an MSBA project. Right. So, you know, I think one of the things is because we're having a conversation with the representative on the, that if you, if we don't, given the town's financial position, I, I would agree with you Ed, that we couldn't build a school without MSBA. So if the decision of the committee is not to go for the MSBA, then the decision would be an alternative to building a school. Well, in that consideration, no, because, I mean, if, if I mean, it's that's, an that's $85 million dollar school on our own, I, it's, oh, it's not defined. I mean, it's not defined. I mean, it's not defined at this time. We don't know that. Well, I'm just saying, if, all right. I mean, that's just my opinion. If we couldn't build an $85 million school without, quite on our own. Well, we, based on the numbers that I ran in, a, in the spring, there's a, it would be a, an average tax increase of $1,200. Okay. Without, if we decide not to use MSBA. Right. Right. So the question is, uh, is that, are people willing to pay that? Well, that's the question. I, you know, I, what, I, well, how much money are, are people willing to, you know, pony up uh, in their average tax bill? Now that's for $800,000 average home. So, and, you know, if you go, it, it, so if you go with MSBA, it's another, it's actually $400 cheaper. Right. So that's that's the delta we're talking about in terms of real numbers. Mm -hmm. People want to make. I mean, it's that's the impact to people's tax bill. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, and I don't. I don't know. I mean, you sound like you you would well, have a problem. I, I think that. it's interesting though that they're going to go ahead and redo the the um, projections on the students because there seemed to be a very big gap between what were the original plan for how many students they need and the current enrollment is like a big delta. So the numbers that we're talking about, you know, how much this would cost are based on projections that are not right. It's like off by like 20%, right? That's what I read. I don't know, I don't know the old data. Well, I, what I had read was that 
they were projecting that the school population would be at a certain place. And the, then the latest the, data is, is nowhere yeah, near that. That's correct. And there's a presentation that I think I sent to you that I maybe, did maybe. showed the difference in cost right. between the different enrollments. Yeah, yeah. So if you cut out, it's not as big as people thought of it was. Right. But it's the point. It's not, it's not uh, if you go from, from 500 to 450 right. or from 575 to 500, from, you're cutting out an extra four classrooms. So it's the square foot cost yeah. of you know, those four classrooms. So uh, it's not that significant. And, and to yeah. your point earlier, you, you can look at the current, I mean, you, you can look at the current enrollment, which may be small, but remember it's the 50 year school. So you have to build in additional people over, yeah. over 50 years. Mm -hmm. So you just can't go by the current, uh, you know, what's coming down the pike. Well, that's what they're going to do the analysis on, right? Right. We want to get a sense of what some demographer, I believe it's mostly demographics, thinks where they think. And I think the time frame in the request for proposal is 15 years where school enrollment will go over the next 15 yeah. years. Which I think is a good idea that they're doing. I, I mean, think it's to see how close it comes to NESDAQ, because NESDAQ does that. Right. And then I, I think um, on the question of, you know, whether they reapply to MSBA, that's, you know, I know they're struggling with that. I agree with these two gentlemen here that I I view the last vote as heavily influenced by two things: the location and cost. Yeah, and the cost thing has just gotten worse. Why? And and way worse without MSBA. So I don't see a solution that. Says we we just leave MSBA out of the process. Can and, I do? and that's going that's going to get sixty seven percent. Matter of fact, I think you create an anti you create a new no vote because you didn't go to the MSBA. Right. Because there'll be a whole group of people in town that will say. But as the you didn't you didn't go get that twenty four three million dollars. I'm not voting for this. Right. But as the Sicilian on this committee, my fear, unlike Ed's, I think. Because we go back to the MSBA and they say no again. That's because there's, I mean, I don't know that. No one can know that. I just tend right. to I understand be that. superstitious that's... and believe what can't go wrong will. Yeah. And so then you've lost another whole year. But, but, but this thing not going to get built for five years. Right. You're not going to occupy this building for five yeah. years. What is the reason not to apply other than hearing? Rejection. I don't understand well, that. Yeah, right. well said. Well, beyond the delay, though, the, the, there are there, the MSBA, their requirements are driving the costs. So it's a circular reference. People believe that the requirements of the MSBA is why, why they wound up on the proposing the other site in the first place, because they wanted a greenfield because it was required by the MSBA. Oh, so there's okay, an thank argument you. that so, that, that can, circular can, can I interrupt you for a second? Because I, 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 probably maybe disagree with that comment. I think that the site selection, the MSBA had no role in it. That was a decision made by the select board and the school building committee. They picked the site selection. And the MSBA just asked questions in their reviews. They don't impose a requirement to, to go to WeWalk. That's not the MSBA's requirement. That's our decision as a town. But they, I understood, they did not want 
to sort of tear down the old Dale, the current Dale, and build in its place. They being the MSBA was requiring a green field, whether it's up in Wheelock. No, or, no, uh, no. If you, you look at the proposal that, that was submitted for evaluation, it was a, an adrenal project at Dale Street. Mm -hmm. it was I saw that, yeah. So that was that was that was uh, building on to the existing, yeah. you know, renovating the existing building and adding to it at Dale Street. And there were a couple configurations of that. Yes, there was a new construction at Dale Street. There was a new construction at Wheelock. So there were like five or, five or six different available options that the select board and the school building committee evaluated and decided which one to pick. And that's why I asked earlier, why are we doing another architectural study if we have five options? It's, it's a new study. It's a whole, it's brand new. It's, it, 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 the glass is gone. If you if you starting with the we had we voted it down. You're starting with the with the with the plain piece of paper, right? Okay. And, and I agree. Yeah, this, and, the sites haven't changed. And they want to they want to change the enrollment, so you you have a different building, right? Smaller, you have a different, right? We have a different building. It's not the same building. So, uh, but you're still going to have a cafeteria. Still going to have a gym. Still yeah. going to have all the common space. So, you know, I mean. But it's not right to say that the MSBA required that site selection. That's that's not right. Okay. okay. Um, All right. So I didn't mean for this to turn into as long a discussion. Okay. Then anyway, the school building committee has some decisions coming down the pike, um, and we're voting tomorrow. I think this that'll be a quick meeting to discuss. Is putting out this RFP on demography on likely census for the school, and then we'll meet again at the beginning of the first Wednesday in February and go through that. I, I would add that over the next five years, being at this Warren Committee's representative, yeah. I don't presume that I'll even be on this <laughs> table, is yeah. representing and voting that this kind of conversation will continue. Oh. I mean, when you say I apologize for giving something, no, I, I think I think every update will will create discussion. Okay. No, well, maybe is, we can good move, move it up in the agenda. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. 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 Comment in these meetings? Is that still an opportunity for the public to go to those yeah. meetings? Yeah. Meetings are open. They're well, they're broadcast. We've been getting complaints, although they take place in this room. Uh, we've been well, we've been getting complaints. I've seen one complaint that is very hard to hear. Uh, what's said at the school building committee meetings, and that they want us to improve the microphone system. Uh, but but they're certainly public. All the documents are posted on the school building committee website. Um, I will say. That when, I don't even remember now what it was, but something came up at the last meeting and um, uh, the chairperson said, I don't think we should go that way. I think the most important thing we need to maintain is a sense of transparency here. And I think we that, that we really need to be as transparent as humanly possible, which I thought was great. So I think they're keenly aware of the need for transparency. Right. Well, I just felt like that would be a pretty big decision they want to focus on. 
from the community right. oh. whether or not to reapply for it. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, that, yeah. we had talked about how we were going to have maybe you represent the views of the Warren Committee on that board. And so if, if, you, if you have, if we have a majority view that, uh, you know, we we want to we want to have some type of MSBA. Maybe we should give that guidance, whether or not this time or in the future. But maybe we should find a way to come to some consensus on, you know, if you, if we have a very strong point of view that oh, gosh darn it, we need to have that, then we should communicate that. Well, maybe at our next meeting, we'll we'll put that on the agenda and talk about it. How's that? Yeah, yeah. there is. I, a I mean, we, it's just getting pretty, it's getting pretty late tonight. I'm ready for so. motion. Um, but I, but I agree that we should we could put that on the agenda. Just to further the conversation. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Very good. I will take a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. Second. All right. Meeting is adjourned.